if that chick is worth some, but if she is worth some, get that homo liquor. She a turn into a stripper, then you send her to a nigga. Standing on the sidewalk outside of Star Garden Topless Dive Bar, it's a low-lit strip club on Lancashire Boulevard in North Hollywood. The reason we're outside, strippers here have been on strike for nearly 10 weeks. They're picketing. They don't want anyone to go inside. They say Star Garden has policies in place that make their workplace unsafe, and that two of their co-workers who spoke out with concerns were fired, they say, unfairly. It's not far-fetched at all to think that we could be stalked or assaulted, um, stolen from and killed. And it's, it's like, it's scary, it's scary. And so these are the risks that we take in, in this industry. And there are precautions that are meant to protect us and make the job safe and fun so we don't have to think about these terrible things. So what does workplace safety look like at a strip club? KCRW's Robin Estrin picks up the story from here. I'm going to tell you about some pretty terrible things strippers at Star Garden have been through on the job. But the first thing you have to understand about their work is that for dancers who are out here, stripping can be really, really fun. Imagine for a moment that you are extremely sexy. You're on stage, bathed in deep purple light, and your favorite song comes on. The beat is slow. You grab the silver pole and lift yourself off the floor. When you look around... All the guys are really paying attention and sort of touched by the performance. <laughs> That's Velveeta, one of the dancers at Star Garden. She loves a moment like the one you just conjured in your mind. It's like basking in the limelight. I don't know. I'm, I, I enjoy the attention, personally. <laughs> and I love to dance, and I, I think my, I have a great body, so I don't know. I feel confident up there. Stripping can be empowering. Here's Reagan, another dancer at Star Garden. I love having control over the energy of a room. That is just such a fun power to wield. Reagan has a bachelor's degree in women and gender studies. In college, she studied abroad in Amsterdam and wrote her thesis on power dynamics in the red light district. For her, stripping is a way to take something back from a patriarchal world ruled by misogyny and capitalism. For me, stripping is the best way that I have found personally to exploit the system right back and take pleasure in being sexual and making money off of it and not just being an object that people make money off of. When Reagan and Velveeta feel empowered, when they feel like they're in control of their environment, that's when they love their jobs. But control is hard to maintain for a dancer in a strip club. So anyone who comes in the door is our customer. 
That's Antonia Crane. She's the founder of the labor organization Strippers United and a dancer of 29 years. It could be a person who just escaped from a rehab down the street. It could be someone who's on the run. It could be a professional gambler or a politician or a businessman or Steve the drywall guy. Like anyone can walk in off the street. For every kind and respectful customer who walks through the door, Crane says others come looking to act out violent fantasies and aggression. I've been choked on the shop floor. I had a client that the DJ nicknamed the Strangler. And that's a different client than the one that actually held me in a chokehold. For the work to be fun, it has to be safe. And when dancers are working under the constant threat of violence, it's neither. And dancers say, at Star Garden, the people who are supposed to protect them at work, the club owners and security guards, don't. We reached out multiple times to Star Garden management for comment on this story, and they didn't respond. Everyone inside has crossed the picket line. You have to think about that. Realize that you missed an opportunity to stand with workers. Workers like yourselves. Because, believe it or not, strippers are workers. We don't just... The protest started in mid-March after Reagan says she was fired for raising safety concerns at work. But Reagan says problems started months earlier when a security guard told her he wouldn't intervene when she was in a dangerous situation with a drunk customer. I had never heard that from a security guard in my life. You're not allowed to intervene. Isn't that your entire job? What are you doing then? (laughs) You're just standing around for decoration? Dancers need security guards. They can't easily enforce boundaries with customers when their livelihood is on the line. You didn't want to just walk away because then you lose your customer, you lose your tip. It's so much easier when there's someone that you can have backing you up. Weeks after Reagan was fired, another dancer who goes by the name Selena saw a group of men filming her coworker, who was topless. She says she was fired after she intervened. In testimony reviewed by KCRW, a couple named Steve and Jenny Kazarian, Star Garden's owners, wrote to the National Labor Relations Board that the dancers were asked to leave after acting aggressively toward customers and staff. On March 18th, Star Garden's dancers walked off the job. And we told her that we wouldn't work until we felt safe, and, and that's why we're out here. Here's Velveeta talking to a young guy named Jacob, who pulled up to the club with a friend in a white pickup truck. Really? Um, Our immediate concern is safety because they've told us that we cannot call a security guard if we have a problem with the customer, that we have to leave the customer, go to management, then management will decide whether to call security. And so... (laughs) That's kind of awkward. Yeah, yeah. it's like really... If you feel feel like you're unsafe, then you have every right to call a security guard. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Jacob ended up heading into the club that night. But all in all, the dancers say they've enlisted the support of a lot of potential customers by approaching them with the skills they use at work. I approach them sweetly and, uh, you know, get a little flirty with it and say, hi, I'm Charm. What's your name? It's nice to meet you. Um, I'd love to tell you about what's going on in this club. I was supposed to work tonight, but they're not letting me work. It's so such a shame. And <laughs> Charm is another Star Garden dancer. Um, It's funny. I've been saying over the past week and a half, I had no idea I was as good at getting people not to spend money as I would as getting people to spend money. So what does workplace safety look like in a strip club? Well, these dancers want access to security guards. 
They also want panic buttons installed in the lap dance booths and for management to kick customers out after closing when they need to walk out of the dressing room in civilian clothes. But would that really protect them from danger? It's not an easy question to answer. None of the dancers I spoke to for this story, dancers who have worked in clubs all across the country, could name a single model of a strip club where workers routinely felt respected, heard, and safe. It feels like the industry has normalized so many bad things that it's hard to imagine like a club without those issues. So they're trying something else. This month, the dancers at Star Garden voted to unionize with Strippers United, the organization formed by Antonia Crane in 2018. If their drive is successful, Crane says Star Garden will be the first strip club in the U.S. to unionize since the 90s. Then, the dancers say they want to come back to work with policies in place that not only keep them safe, but allow them to have some fun, too. For KCRW, I'm Robin Estrin. McDonald's workers staged walkouts in Orlando, Tampa, and Miami on Monday as they demanded the right to unionize, safer working conditions, and a minimum wage of $15 an hour. Jamelia Fairley, with the Fight for 15, was among them. Fairley, who works in a McDonald's in Sanford, sued the company after she says she was harassed on the job. She still works for McDonald's and says she can barely afford basic living expenses on her current salary. It's hard for me with transportation at the moment. Um, with my five-year-old daughter with trying to make it back and forth to work and trying to make it back and forth for her going to school as well as my rent. Workers are calling upon McDonald's to institute a $15 minimum wage immediately. If not, employees will have to wait until 2026 when the minimum wage in Florida will be $15 an hour, thanks to a ballot initiative that passed. Danielle Pryor, WMFE News. Medical apartheid. The Dark History of Medical Experimentation on Black Americans from Colonial Times to the Present. Dr. Dare Adewume was hired to lead the neurosurgery practice at an Atlanta-area hospital. Then he says he quickly faced racial discrimination that ultimately led to his firing, and now he's filed a federal lawsuit alleging discrimination on the basis of race. Here now to talk more about what many Black doctors say they're facing around the country is Dr. Dare Adewume, the former head of neurosurgery at Wellstar Hospital right here in Metro Atlanta. Doctor, what a pleasure to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. Yeah, let's get right into it. First of all, when did you feel like um, your job and your position at uh, Wellstar might be in some jeopardy? Relatively early, Mark. I joined Wellstar and was assigned to the Wellstar Cop Hospital in March 2018. And I would say in November uh, more specifically, December of 2018 is when I began uh, to get concerned that something was up. And that's roughly about eight or nine months into my tenure there, where I began receiving these letters of inquiry uh, that I had never received before at any institution or throughout any of my training. Uh, frankly, I was not familiar with these things. Uh, and uh, that's where it all started. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about... Um 
just if you will, the background, I know you can't discuss the particulars of the lawsuit, but uh, you are alleging that the treatment that you received was very different from the same treatment that uh, uh, your white colleagues might have received, but they were not subject to it. Correct. Uh, with mine, it started with these letters of inquiry, like I described. And what these letters of inquiry are, are questions about your clinical practice, your surgical practice that arise from any number of things. And in my case, it seemed a lot of them arose from colleagues who disagreed with my surgical approaches. They did not always correlate with a complication or anything bad happening to a patient. And in a lot of cases, they were simply somebody disagreeing with the surgery I did, even if the patient did extremely well and was very happy about the surgery. The volume was also very concerning where, like I mentioned earlier, I suddenly received about 15 to 20 of these letters of inquiry, even though I'd never received one at any stage of my training prior to this. Wow. So doctor, tell me a little bit about what this felt like. Um, what was it like when you realized that something you had worked so long and so hard for was now in jeopardy and you weren't able to reasonably ascertain the reason why when you Monday morning quarterbacked um, the, the surgeries that you were doing, the way you were conducting yourself in a professional environment. I mean, what was that feeling like? Because many of us go through it um, as African-Americans in a professional setting, um, dealing with having to look over our shoulder. Um, describe how you felt when you realized that, that everything was tumbling down around you and there was nothing you could do to stop it. You know, Marcus, like you said, it, it took a Monday morning quarterback approach for me to truly realize what was going on. Because in the moments, I was very confused. I, I had never received these things before. I did not know what they were. So I was very confused. And naturally, with any humble person, you want to look inward and you, try, and you start to blame yourself. And at first, I blamed myself, questioned, did I do something wrong? What's going on here? These patients all did well. What am I missing here? And then you want to believe the system. You want to believe your colleagues and think, well, they're just doing what's best for the patient. They're trying to do their best here. But as you, as I dove in further, and I realized a lot of these accusations were lies, a lot of them also had to do with the people in question misleading uh, these committees and uh, changing, basically moving the goalposts. If a patient did well, they had an excuse for it. If the patient did not do well, it was magnified. But like I mentioned, most of these patients did extremely well. And then they were skewed into thinking, well, it was just lucky that this patient did well. Well, how lucky yeah. can somebody get with so many cases? Right. And as, as time progressed, when I started to realize that this was not really about collegiality, this was not really about patient care, this was truly an assassination attempt, then I became afraid and devastated. I became very afraid because I did not, I wasn't entirely clear where it was coming from. It's very hard to believe that your colleagues would do something like this. At least at the time, it was very hard for me to believe a colleague would do this. And as time passed, and I realized this was in fact not just coming from a colleague, was coming from somebody who was essentially my supervisor and was supposed to be looking out for me, it became truly devastating, truly, truly devastating. Uh, and as time passed, uh, I sought help from every resource I could. I even went to the senior vice president explained the situation to him, asked him for help and said, I would like to mend this relationship with this colleague. I don't know what's going on, but I need your help. And his response was, well, to paraphrase, 
I've seen situations like this before. It would be in your best interest to resign. Wow. Yes. And that made it wow. even more interesting because then I realized that this was not somebody acting rogue or somebody acting outside of uh, the system. This was somebody who was ingrained in the system right. acting with their knowledge and possibly even their authorization. And it yeah. became more clear that this was a coordinated attempt to force me out. Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit more about why you got into to, to medicine. I mean, you, you were hired as the head of neurosurgery, right? That You don't just stumble into those positions. This is, this is a labor of love. This is a passion. This is um, dedication to helping those who, who need your help. Um, tell me why you got into the practice of medicine. Sure, sure. Well, to clarify for the audience, I was not the head of neurosurgery. I was. Oh, okay. Of, I'm sorry. I was, I guess, essentially the head of neurosurgery at Cobb Hospital, mm-hmm. but I was also their only neurosurgeon. So it was kind of a default position. But there were others above me, specifically this colleague who instigated this attempt to uh, force me out of uh, neurosurgery, okay. specifically uh, at Wellstar as well. Uh, uh, but to answer your question, Medicine, I guess most directly, it came from my grandmother. And uh, (laughs) my grandmother always wanted me to be a physician, and she was uh, very hopeful about it. And, you know, as a child, you're not really sure what you wanted, what you want to be. At one point, I wanted to be a pilot, then I wanted to be a fireman. Uh, And the first, I remember the first time my family went to Disney World, I said, hey, I want to work at Disney World. (laughs) But as time passed, I developed a love for the sciences, developed a love for helping people. Uh, And I remember I had uh, a surgical procedure done on me when I was much younger. And I noticed the contrast from how badly I felt and how much pain I was in before surgery and how all of a sudden this was relieved almost instantaneously after surgery. And I looked at the surgeon and I I had my mind made up. This was it. And that's what I was going to be a physician. And I can still see my grandmother jumping up and down and dancing uh, when I told her this, that uh, my plan was to be a doctor one day. Amazing. What a story. Now, for folks who don't know, you're a native Atlantan. You grew up uh, in Cobb County, correct? In, in uh, the Mableton area, um, not far from Wellstar Hospital. No, I grew up in Cobb County. I went to McEachin High School in Powder Springs. And what's more saddening is my grandmother was actually diagnosed with leukemia at Cobb Hospital when I was in high school. Uh, She eventually passed, and coincidentally, once I was offered the position as as the neurosurgeon at Cobb Hospital, bear in mind, Cobb had not had a neurosurgeon in over a decade for various reasons. Wow. And when I was offered this position and asked to rebuild the program, the neurosurgery program at Cobb Hospital, I was elated. I thought this was, I thought this was God bringing things full circle. I thought this was my grandma looking down, saying, I'm happy with the decisions you've made and come full circle, come back home, come and take care of the people in your community and come and do something great here. Come here and build a legacy with the people who tried to help me when I was sick. So I was overjoyed to join Cop Hospital. Yeah, I can imagine. Tell me a little bit about your schooling too, because we know that's one of the barriers um, to entry to the medical practice or to the practice of medicine for many African-American families. Um, the average medical student student loan debt is somewhere around 200K if, I'm, if my research is correct. So tell me a little bit about um, you know, your decision to, to undertake um, the law school and, and the possibility of, of enormous debt. 
um, for for medical school and um, and and what it meant to you to 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 labor through all those years, especially um, as a specialist in in neurosurgery. Well, uh, like I mentioned, I went to McEachin High School and that was in Powder Springs. Uh, after McEachin, I went to Xavier University, to Xavier University in New Orleans and uh, got fabulous uh, college experience there. And after Xavier, I went to the Medical College of Georgia in Augusta. And that was also a wonderful experience. Uh, it, was, it was somewhat trying uh, because like you mentioned, there was a very small number of black people in medicine. And my class size was, I think roughly 180 at the time. And there were roughly 15 black people in the entire class. Wow. So this is less than 10%. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it was rough, but uh, we looked out for each other. We were all able to make it through. Then after medical school, I did my neurosurgery residency at Loma Linda University in Southern California. During residency, during my fifth year of residency, I did a spine fellowship in Seattle at the Swedish Neuroscience Institute in Seattle. And following the residency, I then did a brain tumor fellowship at Emory in, uh, in Atlanta. Wow. Uh, wow. Back home. Yeah. So this also kind of gives you an idea uh, of, uh, I guess, the level of specialization I went through for this. I uh, did a brain tumor fellowship, like I mentioned, also did a spine fellowship. And so to suddenly uh, find myself at, at a hospital that had, that had not had a neurosurgeon in 10 years, suddenly question everything I'm doing, despite the level of training I had, it, it was all very confusing in the beginning until sure. I the cause was my skin color yeah. and it to make sense when it became clear that, okay, this was not about me. This is not about what I'm doing. This is not about my training or my skill or my knowledge. This is about my skin color. And this is about certain parties, not wanting somebody who looks like me to be in the position I'm in. Yeah. Doctor, what it do to your confidence? Um, I would imagine this is, this is a heck of a blow to one's confidence, um, especially someone so accomplished. It was a major blow, especially in the beginning when I was confused about what was going on. Because as you're probably aware, Mark, uh, we a lot of times we get trained and we get conditioned not to look to racism. We get conditioned that racism does not exist. We get conditioned that it must be something else. I mean, we can watch a video of a young man getting shot and then get told, well, it had nothing to do with his skin color. It was because right. he dropped a sheet of paper on the sidewalk and he did not comply. Right. So for a long time, I blamed myself. I, I spoke with several mentors. I would discuss these surgeries with mentors, with colleagues, ask them what I did wrong. And unanimously, everybody told me I did nothing wrong. And they would look at these surgeries and tell me, you are being targeted. You need to get out of there. What they're doing to you is wrong. You have done nothing wrong in this surgery. Everything you've done here is not only within the standard of care, everything you've done here is exceptional. And wow. in the beginning, my confidence was shot. I mean, I was disappointed in myself, questioned my training, questioned my mentors, like, did you guys not train me properly? What's going on here? Until I finally realized and was able to accept that this was not me. This was racism. Wow. And even that still took oh, some time to rebuild my confidence and say, you know, this happens to too many of us, unfortunately. I'm sure, I'm sure. So what's next, Dr. Adewume? Um, 
you have not been able to find work due to the situation that that transpired at Wellstar. Is that correct? Well, it's not a matter of finding work. I've been able right. to find And what Wellstar has done is they've used a loophole and created a system where essentially they refuse to provide the necessary verification to other hospitals in order for me to get credentialed at those hospitals. So I, I have been offered multiple jobs. I've been offered uh, well over four or five positions. Wow. I mean, there are several hospitals who need a neurosurgeon and I get offered positions all the time, but then when it comes down to the paperwork, it becomes a problem. And Wellstar wow. essentially has created this loophole where, as you're aware, they placed me on an, a, an action plan, a performance improvement plan. And in the process of completing the performance improvement plan, which they manufactured, they then terminated me, stopping me from finishing the performance improvement plan. Then they tell hospitals, well, he has an incomplete performance improvement plan. Well, the problem is they wouldn't let me finish it. And despite me asking and begging for opportunities to finish it, they adamantly refused. The biggest wow. example I have is during early COVID, March 2020, I went back to them and said, I would like to finish this action plan. And this gives us an opportunity to finish it without involving any type of legal matters. We can also help the general public this way. You bring, you let me come back as even a volunteer. And that way you have an extra pair of hands, an extra physician, an extra highly trained pair of hands for whatever amount of time you need. And then I will be able to complete this action plan. And once this is done, we can all go our separate ways. And they not just adamantly condescendingly refused. And that, wow. again, made it even clearer that this was, there was an intent of malice here. And this was never about the public health. This was never about patient care. This was never about doing the right thing. This was always about harming me in any way possible. Yeah. And, and before I let you go, let's talk a little bit about COVID and the, and the need uh, for African-American doctors during a time in which African-American, uh, as African-Americans as a whole, were, were dramatically and disproportionately affected by, by the COVID pandemic. Um, we need uh, more Black doctors in uh, more uh, highly populated African-American areas uh, for a higher level of care because we, as we saw with COVID, we just weren't getting it. So, I mean, something needs to be done to bring more African-Americans to, to medicine. And, and, right. and how do we do that? Because the outcomes of care are not looking very good for us right now. Mark, that's a whole different battle. And it's a yeah. battle I've been fighting for a long time as well. Uh, I mean, I recently had a, uh, a forum with, uh, the with some of the students from the graduating class at the School of Medicine in order to prepare them for residency. And the one thing, I think the biggest thing, to answer your question, one, one area where somebody like me can actually come to play, and one thing that really helped me out as well, is we have to let young Black people know this is within reach. And this is possible. If I can do it, you can do it too. And I've actually talked to a few, actually several summer programs about this with the elementary school kids, middle school kids, and some high school kids where I go to them and go to them as plain as possible, jeans and a t-shirt and say, look at me. I am a, I'm 
by definition, I am a brain surgeon. And they look at me, and they look at me like I'm crazy. And actually, yeah, I'm a brain surgeon. And if I can be a brain surgeon and I can sit down here and play this PlayStation with you, you can do this too. There's nothing special about me other than the fact that I tried to do it. And if I tried to do it and I did it, you can do it too. And you sometimes you see their eyes open like, wow. Because a lot of times we've just never been told we can. We've never been given the opportunity. We've never seen somebody who's actually done it. And I was fortunate enough to have people behind me who believed in me and told me I could do it. And once I got uh, to meet certain people, certain surgeons at the Medical College of Georgia and certain surgeons in the Department of Neurosurgery, and they gave me the confidence as well to let me know I can do it. And I think that's one place where it starts, where you just let young Black people know, if I can do this, you can do this too. You can do it too. Wow. Doctor, I think that's a great place to wrap up this interview. Thank you so much. We wish you uh, continued success um, and the best of luck in all your endeavors. Please stay in touch with us and, and keep us up to date on, on the happenings here because uh, I think this case is critical um, to how we continue, uh, again, not only for um, your career and your family's well-being, but for the well-being of the African-American community when it comes to receiving quality care from people that look like us. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Dr. Darietta will make. Bruh, how cool can she be? She's from Buffalo. And what's wrong with Buffalo? <laughs> For the employees who were inside the tops in Buffalo and witnessed the mass shooting, the union that represents them is now stepping up and supporting them. The United Food and Commercial Workers Local One Union has been on the ground in Buffalo providing support for their members inside the store during the mass shooting. They have been meeting in a local library surrounded by each other and provided grief counselors should they want to talk with one. If you hear some of the stories of what these people uh, witnessed uh, and what they had a view on their way out of the store, um, it's it's just horrific. So. Uh, I don't know how any of them uh, seeing the carnage that they had to see. Uh, it, it's going to take a long time for them to heal. And, uh, and that's why we, we have the counselors there working um, 24 hours with them if need be. Plus, the union has their own service that can provide over-the-phone counseling to members. Together, the union and TOPS have been working together to assist those who witnessed the horrific act of hate heal. We have trained military people that are, you know, warriors that come back with PTSD. Uh, so can you imagine the normal cashier or the normal produce clerk or meat cutter? Uh, he didn't sign up to uh, to be in a war zone. And that, that's where they were at on Saturday. The president says that he will be checking in on these workers for as long as it takes for them to be okay, whether that be days, weeks, or even a year. Reporting in the control room, I'm Amanda Hall. In light of May being Mental Health Awareness Month and the recent tragedies in Buffalo and Texas, a reminder to talk about the programs that can help us cope with traumatic events. 211 Lifeline is a resource in our community. People can use that to get help. Uh, we're joined this morning to have more on this conversation with uh, Jennifer Boutte and Deb Turner to tell us more. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, Jennifer, let me start with you because I think so many people across the country uh, are, are dealing with mental health issues context of white supremacy indeed many folks around the known universe dealing with mental health issues mainly the mental health issue of white supremacy racism gusty included dealing with that mental health issue 
This is our weekly broadcast, Neutralizing Workplace Racism. Uh, if we have any non-white people in the known universe, if you do not have any mental health issues because your workplace is super healthy, they had counseling for you if you needed it because of any of the events over the past month or your lifetime of white supremacy racism if you need a day off month off they do not have any corny Juneteenth celebrations uh, forthcoming you get sparkling performance reviews you do not have colleagues trying to sabotage your efforts you do exemplary work that's what they spell out on your review exemplary performance and a raise to boot chunky one too if that is your experience let us know the number to dial is 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate I just want it marked for the record there's a cruise boat going by at Richmond Beach I'm so disgusted I guess I'm eh, well, I mean I'm disgusted period because white supremacy racism but I'm mega disgusted because like the sun did come out today I could have been lounging like way closer to the beach and enjoying the day as opposed to we have to be here talking about black people being sabotaged and lied to black neurosurgeons and then from the neurosurgeon all the way to black custodians McDonald's workers being lied to and sabotaged in the word that's what we have to talk about disgraceful all the way but there goes the cruise could have been on the cruise ship Puget Sound man number again is 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND Press star six one if you would like to participate. Hmm. Email is untiljustice at gmail.com. I was thinking about paddle boating. Paddle boating. The email is untiljustice at gmail.com. Feel free to drop us a line if you have updates, COVID-19 situation in your workplace and or uh, certainly if you have any tips that would help us. Uh, okay, first few tidbits, and then we'll get to some of the callers, emails, all of the above. See if we can get in all the emails today, too. That'll be a challenge. Uh, quickly, with some of the audio segments that we heard, clip number one, the strip club. I heard that I had so many thoughts because, uh, one, uh, I have known, uh, even worked with, uh, plural, a number of different uh, non-white females who were even designated as black. Uh, who also worked uh, as strippers. Uh, I did not and have never worked at a strip club, but uh, that was what they called their side gig or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so I've heard like exactly what they talked about safety. When I worked in uh, Atlanta, said for years I worked at a comedy club there. 
uh, one of the black females who worked there, she also worked, Atlanta has a lot of strip clubs, like strip clubs for white people, strip clubs, strip clubs for black people, uh, strip clubs that everybody goes to, like, woof, pornography is the Atlanta child murders all. Anyway, um, we were just talking about Georgia, Georgia yesterday. Anyway, um, when I worked at the comedy club, I remember one of the black females, she would talk uh, all the time, safety. Uh, she, uh, I remember her talking about going to a strip club she had not danced at before. Uh, and she said she went there and just, oh my God, like having to fight people off and, oh, get off, get, get move your hands, get up. And I mean, pff, man, I cannot even, in a system of white supremacy, and then you're going to be classified as a black female. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, right. And so now I don't have any clothes on. And they're like, oh, my God. Woo, man. Safety. Like, man, if you, uh, if at all possible, I would, you know, not recommend. And I mean, that we had that program, Irregular Time, uh, Daniel Livesey. Uh, he was with us from California. That so should have been at the normal time. Uh, but he talked about in Jamaica, whole system of racism, but Jamaica specifically, that black people were groomed from youth. Could have said conditioned. From youth to be whores. That was the word that was used. Whores. That is the total system. I mean, if you got a system where you're going to have reaping and sexual exploitation of everybody, hey, train them young and I mean that has been the whole uh, culture of strip clubs has been thoroughly heavily promoted uh, over the past I'd say 30 years or so strip club everywhere I mean uh, strip pole stripper pole everybody has a stripper pole you know they probably got a stripper pole at the kindergarten exercise twerking all of that Woo! get up get the get the little kindergartners do some twerking get those hips a moving all of that has been in, in the fashion and what they wear and all of that. Uh, all of that, in my view, all of that is utter nonsense. Uh, one to have the white woman is nonsense both sides. Nonsense having a white woman telling me, oh, the patriarchy and misogyny and sexism of the world. <laughs> get out of here, white woman. Like you are. At the, anyway, get out of here. Uh, and then it's nonsense both ways. There is nothing empowering about any of this. We wouldn't be talking about safety issues. They wouldn't be out picketing on strike if it was empowering. Utter nonsense. I even pay attention to when that word gets used. But anyway, that was what they talked about frequently. That's, I mean, one of many reasons why I would not encourage that line of work. Incidentally, I can even briefly chat about my experience with strip clubs because pretty, I think all of them revolve around the workplace. I worked with a colleague as I said her side gig was stripping and then working in other environments uh, where non-white females also had a side gig of stripping now a different component that I can tell in fact different even parts of the planet so the California side of this since that report was in California when I worked in California also not at a strip club in fact at a pretty you know upstanding nine to five corporate office two weeks training type of a thing uh, I meet a non-white female and 
I remember we're going through two weeks of training with the same group of people. I remember one of the one of the white people suspected racists in the training there was like an email with all that got sent to everybody and she said oh I saw this non-white female's name and I thought wow she has a name like a stripper and I mean it was kind of I wouldn't have thought that but I mean I could see how somebody you know would think that lo and behold we meet her and she does work (laughs) as a stripper even though that was her legal like government name Anyway, so we go through our first week of training, corporate, all that, buttoned up nine to five. We go through our first week of training. You got two weeks. You got to get through the training before you even get to the job. Someone comes up with the magnificent idea of let's go out for drinks to celebrate our first week of training. Now, I was super uncodified, ignorant. And now this is not a justification at all, but I'm just saying for context, like I had been on the East Coast in lame Coon Man, Virginia and lame Atlanta. Sorry if we have any folks who like that area, but Atlanta is kind of lame. And so California, oh, my God, I take that all day, every day on Sunday. So not that that makes it any better, but I mean, yeah, Gus, let's go for drinks. Woo. We do this on Friday. We haven't even got through the training. Like, worst error ever. We don't, I mean, we just, I think we went to somebody's house, which is even worse. Like, oh, horrible. So this gets compounded. We don't just go out for drinks. I think we went to play pool. Welsingham. We did. We went to a bar and played pool. Worse. Since we did that on Friday, someone comes up with the magnificent idea on Saturday. Hey, let's go to the strip club it had to be um <laughs> victim not female since that it had to be because i think we went to the place where she worked at anyway look hey let's do it so we go to the strip club in san francisco probably close to where the warriors will be at for uh the finals man oh man like worse to sit like nothing bad happened i'm just saying like all of that is absolutely horrible like all you need is for anything to happen that sort of environment you've got people alcohol they're out in public like anything bad not to mention who is driving is the driver going to be designated and all the rest of it and like i said like this was not we did not work at a brothel we were not going through two weeks of training uh to go work at a bar uh or some sort of nonsense like man we worked at the type of environment where somebody if they had found out like you work at a what i want to go talk to hr about it like it could have been problems in fact, I told that that's totally true. Totally, totally true. On top of that, we could have got we, like I said, we hadn't even finished training. Like anybody, they have jobs where you have to two weeks of training and go through the manual and go through like page by page of policy and procedure and all the rest of it and sexual harassment and all of this. Like, man, it could have been whoa, y'all were doing what? You work at what? Anything. And then, like I said, much less if something had happened, I would not do any of that. These are not your homies. These are not your friends. Like, this is not some, you know, frat scene at a college. Like, you haven't even got the job yet. You're going through training. And even if we had had the job, I never think that that is anything constructive, anything to be gained. Uh, by hanging out in these sort of environments with your coworkers, I have seen where people have gotten fired because of their conduct in these environments and or 
humiliated uh, where these type of events end up being like company gossip for the next 20 years, even if you don't work there anymore. So there, I've never heard somebody where they got a raise. We went and hung out at the strip club and I got a raise or I got, you know, promoted to work on this big project and all of that. Never. It's always been something tacky. Even when we talked to victims of racism in Canada, where they've said went out, we went out drinking and he ended up having to be like the designated driver for all of their like tacky shenanigans, tacky, drunk, white, racist shenanigans. So I would not encourage that like at all. If you do that sort of work, safety, number one, if that is like a side hustle, I would try to keep that like discreet. But safety all the way. I thought, and that typically doing any sort of like stripping, it's going to be an environment with alcohol. Oh, said that pretty consistently. That is not a good combo, pretty much with anything in a system of white supremacy. I can totally understand why that would be an unsafe environment. Anywho, let's see. Uh, the segment where they talked about McDonald's uh, had a pause uh, for Trayvon Martin because I believe, or actually pause for Trayvon Martin and Jackie Robinson since they want to talk about 75 years. Many reasons he could have not gotten through that season 75 years ago. One of them, Sanford, Florida, where the Klan was going to kill Jackie Robinson. And then fast forward a few years later with Trayvon Martin. But yes, yeah, Sanford, long, infamous history in Florida and now the McDonald's workers in Sanford and the rest of Florida can't even get a decent wage I'm so not surprised and harassed to boot uh, next they spoke with Dr. Uh, Dare Adewume I thought that was so important uh, Atlanta Daily World I believe did uh, like a 20 minute uh, interview even hearing that I never even budged white guests only no exceptions Orenthal James Anthony Broadwater anywho uh, Dr. Adewumi I thought one I did think about the Adas folks I didn't know if they were out there see it's exactly what I'm talking about got these folks not even born here get to come and be a neurosurgeon can't even get a black person born in Georgia to be a neurosurgeon even though he did say he was born in, in Cobb County but I know some of the folks say, hey, his, his parents, grandparents, where were they from? Hmm. Anywho, neurosurgeon, right? And he's thinking my grandmother and she passed away and I get to come back to the same hospital and full circle and uh, all the rest of it. They made, I forgot the, uh, the term for that. Uh, when you go full circle and I'm sure it'll come to me in a second. Anywho, uh, but he's thinking that and it's no. It is white supremacy racism. And I even paused for his grandmother and thinking now medical apartheid for real. Like what sort of care did she get all the way through, like all the way through her life in terms of her getting leukemia and then what type of care did she get at the hospital? I mean, this is probably a rewind. Not that I would expect racism, white supremacy to be a void or not present in 2022 or 2021. But I mean, certainly if we're going to go backwards to what are we talking? 1980s, 1970s? Whew. Come on. He didn't even explain the reasons why they didn't have a neurosurgeon there. I'm sure that probably relates to racism, white supremacy as well. If it's a lot of black people, these niggers don't even have brains. What do you, that's an oxymoron. Ne neurosurgeon at a nigger hospital? <laughs> 
Anywho, so he gets the job. Uh, and he's thinking, you know, this is going to be great. Going to be awesome. Going to get to help, help. And he's with great intentions. That happens, I think, for a lot of non-white people. They go into a job with great intentions. And then, no. Sabotaged at every step of the way. And he gives all of these incredible credentials where he's so well-trained and been to all of these schools all over the world. Even come out here to Seattle. Highly specialized. You are a negra. I'm a nigger. that you are a nigra. And he said his colleagues went about the business of sabotaging him. He said he had never experienced anything like this. And he said they used the metaphor. They said it took some Monday morning quarterbacking before they realized what was happening was that they were moving the goalposts. This is when I especially say like, hey, let's get away from those metaphors. Folks, you know, again, they will say Gus T hates metaphors and all that. I do not hate metaphors. I have concluded words are very important. One of the main tools for how white people practice racism, white supremacy. I've also concluded frequently these metaphors have an extraordinary lack of precision. They are not scientific at all from a neurosurgeon. And I'm lame gusty, but they are not precise at all. There is so much detail lost. So what do we mean when we say Monday morning quarterback? Because you got people who don't watch American football. What does that even mean? I have to really sit and contemplate and think about what happened. I will say documentation is very helpful for that because your memory can fail sometimes. Sometimes you will not place importance on particular details until way down the line and you might have even forgot about those details unless you write them down but Monday morning quarterbacking and then realizing what was happening was they were moving the goalposts what does that again if I'm not a football person what does that mean what were they doing specifically he said they would report him he would do his surgeries meet with his patients and if he had a great outcome, he did the surgery, patient healed, things went great. Say, so, ah, this nigga got lucky. I mean, they, they probably didn't even need anything. And, you know, he, he just got fortunate on that one. He said, now, if there was a problem, so see, 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 he's incompetent. We've told you these niggers are ignorant. Did you, you read the bell curve? The coon is a coon. He's like, what? What? This guy, a neurosurgeon says I started to lose confidence after all this moving the goalpost lying sabotaging practicing white supremacy racism until he and he said he had to talk to other he didn't just even say he was losing confidence in himself I thought that was so powerful he said he was losing confidence in himself and in his mentors and thinking, why didn't you train me correctly? Are you saying, oh my God. The layers of victimization here. And the context, remember, this is not the report on the strip club. It would have been horrible if it had been happening there. Terrible. This is at the hospital, probably with a lot of black people, victims of racism. What happened to Hippocratic Oath? Why are we sitting here trying to lie and sabotage someone who is trying to heal patients? What in the world? Why? 
how is anything a greater priority than the patient's care why are we sitting here trying to fault find with some nigra doctor oh medical apartheid there are for individuals classified as white J. Marion Sims individuals classified as white there are things more important than healing mistreating negras medical apartheid Harriet A. Washington oh, one of the greatest books ever uh, but he says he started to blame himself for all of this I'm some kind of lame. I just didn't, you know, study hard enough. I didn't try well enough. This is so common in the system of white supremacy where we are doing our best, where we probably have been doing exemplary work. And we have got race soldiers that are sitting around. And I said, this is at all levels. So you can take this from the strip club, the hospital, the neurosurgery department. McDonald's flipping chicken nuggets all doing the best that you can earn your few little nickels and you got people coming up oh, yep see he messed that one up yeah yeah I know the patient you know they survived it, but he, look at that look at that look at that I think he spilled something on the floor his fingernails are dirty his scrubs are old yeah and look burn the chicken nuggets look at that look at that look at that that's supposed to be a six piece there's five nuggets in there oh wait a minute that's it uh, what? well he bit off of it and it's a hair on it. Just make up things randomly. And then we end up, dang, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm probably the worst person ever at McDonald's. I'm the worst doctor. How did I even get through med school? No. No, that is a requirement. That right there is a part of that black self-respect. I don't even believe in myself anymore. And all that depression and eating habits. And we talked about all that before from a black neurosurgeon black male neurosurgeon when he was talking about his class numbers I would have been very curious was it an even gender breakdown because the statistics say that that couldn't have been probably weren't a whole lot of folks like you a black male in your class but anyway 10% he said uh, there's a lot more I could. oh yeah the last one I'll get in about that where he said he goes around and he talks to black students to show them that hey you can do this we're sitting here and we're playing PS5 or whatever it is. I'm wearing jeans or what have you. You can do this. I see the logic in that. I've heard other folks, Dr. Welsing and other folks saying, hey, it is important to see this. Absolutely. I, I see the logic in that. I think it is substantially more important and truthful. I am a black neurosurgeon and you give them your lofty and impressive list of credentials all of that school and all of that money even put that up now even if you got scholarships and everything just how much does all of that cost financially and the time and energy how many years of your life did you have to dedicate to get all of this knowledge to be a neurosurgeon and you give them all that and you tell them with all that I'm a nigger and nigger meaning I am a victim of white supremacy racism be honest all the way I feel like that is really poisonous to just come in a system we even talked about this with Dr. Peggy McIntosh who's a suspected race soldier for sure but she said the same logic 
that is very dangerous to go tell non-white people, especially children, you can do anything. Build a spaceship, astronaut, astrophysicist, neurosurgeon, all of the above, inventor. You can do all of that. Nobody can stop you. You can attempt and you might even become a neurosurgeon, astrophysicist, all of the above. But we are still in a system of racism, white supremacy, and that is going to be an extraordinary obstacle to anything and everything constructive you attempt to do in your life. Even as an accomplished neurosurgeon, they are sabotaging my attempts even to move forward in new employment that's what I mean about you gotta be totally honest don't just give me that Pollyanna that you can do it because that ends up being not and then the same thing happens when I'm not able to do this because racists get in my way I blame myself as opposed to oh yeah he did say still a nigra nigra meaning victim of white supremacy put an accurate definition on it Anywho, lots why that's important to be talk about that too. The sabotage down the road is not just we're gonna let you leave. We messed over you or treated you like a nigger and all that. He said he went to him. Hey, let's try to resolve this in an amicable fashion. We got the Rona. I could come in on a volunteer basis to assist. It's all hands on deck. He said that they didn't. Oh yes, the olive branch of peace. Let's do a little kumbaya two step. No, no, no. He said that they condescendingly refused. That's the type of thing where if it had been Gus doing the interview like, whoa, wait a minute. Again, Hippocratic Oath, black people in the Rona and all this. We could have a black face to come in here and confuse and all that. No, no, no. They condescendingly refuse. What does that mean? You don't have to give us all the detail, but I mean, what? what that's what i mean about keep it real you can have all these certificates and degrees and doctorates and experience you're a nigra we got nigras born here nigras with degrees illiterate nigras crack selling nigras oj simpson nigras but nigras is nigras and it sounds like they had to remind mike jordan dr wells and he's talking about that all the time mike jordan got fired he could have played a whole segment of that maybe i have to find that so we could play that for workplace race he talked about that all the time because he said the same thing that it was real condescending to mike jordan negras is negras not wrong on that one that's what race racism white supremacy means email is until justice at gmail.com the number 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate one email and we'll get to the callers until justice at gmail.com uh, let's see Email number one, designated black, formerly be in Toronto. Uh, she writes in salutations to you callers and listeners. 
uh, provided as my uh, report for the week. A few months ago, I had mentioned I was now being followed by a white Nissan Altima while at work. I do remember this. I had called the police and made a report, a plus, along with having pictures of the vehicle following me. I took days off work at the time due to being in fear for my safety as when I would walk wait a minute, walk by the vehicle, the guy in the vehicle would lower his windows. The next opportunity I had, I contacted the police again about the matter. Two police constables spoke to the guy and the guy claimed he was an Uber driver. The police said they ran his plates and they were clean so they couldn't do anything about it frustrated again I knew this guy was lying as he would follow me when I would leave the houses I would support to get items and return back to the spot by the house that wait a minute <laughs> by the house upon my return it was very creepy interestingly enough the housing manager never changed the houses and told me to change routes when I go to work I still have the text messages and evidence of all of this. I had a strong feeling that the team lead supervisor had something to do with it as the same vehicle would appear at a number of houses I supported. I even remember notifying the housing manager about the matter. The team lead supervisor when I told her sounded very mocking claiming how scared I must feel and that it might be an ex-employee following me. None of it was logical at this. None of it seemed logical at this same team lead supervisor had made it a point to isolate me from the rest of the other employees. I knew she was lying and was connected to this but did not have proof. As you know, I eventually left that toxic dump of a workplace in January 2022. Yesterday, while doing my deliveries, I see the same vehicle with the same license plate number behind me, and guess who I see in the passenger seat? The same nasty team lead supervisor. The same guy who terrorized me months ago was driving. I changed lanes so they had to drive in front of me and return back to the same lane. Now, being behind them, I started video recording the incident. Unfortunately, I could not capture the image of the disgusting team lead supervisor being in the vehicle. I am so disgusted as this is an older black female that did this. I notified the white female housing manager who had more authority to stop her, but she didn't do so. The black female executive director also kept this disgusting individual on and protected her when I used to work there. I don't know what to do. Although I am happy that my intu uh, intuition was validated, a part of me feels strong on seeking justice. I could go to the police again, but the question would be, were any laws broken? Technically, no. The reprobates can drive on the city streets. Part of me would like to expose them on social media, but organizations can sue for defamation, although they would lose if the information is truthful. I'm so angry right now. Any thoughts? Sincerely designated black. Uh, I do think, number one, uh, I think we, I've mentioned Gavin DeBecker's book all the time, uh, The Gift of Fear. And I think just as I was talking about uh, with the doctor down in Georgia, that one of the major components of this system is to have us 
uh, doubt ourselves. We lose that confidence, and so we'll think something is happening. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that we know all the details of it, but we'll just have a, a suspicion about something, and we'll deny that or not even investigate to see what's up with that. Let me ask some questions and see why I'm thinking this way or feeling this way. So I do think there's something to that. Uh, and being able to get evidence uh, to back suspicions that you had, just trying to use evidence as best you can. Uh, in terms of moving forward, um, as you said, you know, you already like when you reported to the police the first time. The first time, plates were clean. Person wasn't doing anything incorrect. They said they couldn't do anything about it. As you said, they're going to ask if any laws were broken. It doesn't seem like anything uh, has changed from the first time through. So I suspect on that end, in terms of contacting the police to do something, probably a no-go at this point, I would think, uh, unless someone knows some information that I do not. Uh, I guess you could report this on social uh, media. Uh, I'm not sure, at least in terms of the company, you know, because I'm sure they'll have a level of plausible deniability about, you know, whether everybody knew this and all the rest. Maybe this uh, one individual, uh, the black female who's in the vehicle, maybe she won't, especially if you got the pictures. If you didn't get pictures, well, then, you know, that's just going to be your word against their word and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it's one of those. I, I definitely think it's spectacular that you contacted enforcement officials. So there's a record of that contact and uh, them questioning him about his plates and all of that. I think that's awesome. Uh, but I'm not sure uh, if there's a whole lot that you can do in terms of uh, following up uh, on all of this. Um, thankfully, it didn't escalate any far. Hopefully, since you're not working there anymore, it can be an out of sight, out of mind type of thing. They will have moved on to others. Uh, if anything, I would say it is a another just really what to say uh, sorrowful reminder uh, united independent we go on these jobs anywhere in the known universe uh, you do not have friends homies sisters brothers just because they have a little bit of melanin or a lot of melanin that is just not the case uh, it is really, really dangerous uh, to think that this person or these people uh, will have your back back uh, just because, you know, hey, we're all black. or We're all not white. And so we're all in this together. Like so many times, that's just not the case. Uh, you have lots of non-white people who are confused. Certainly all of us, we are subjects. And sometimes, as we've heard repeatedly from some folks who've wrote and called in, sometimes we are tasked with spying on and sabotaging other non-white people like that's our job they might as well put it in our performance evaluation maybe they do in a non-verbal manner but I mean that's just the reality so these sort of uh, uh, situations where a non-white person uh, someone designated as black is uh, involved participating uh, in some sort of mistreatment uh, deliberate abuse uh, of another individual who is not white they are very common they are to be expected and a great deal uh, of our conduct uh, it's just we do these things on the job irrespective of who the person is it doesn't matter what their classification is these are just things to do I'm by myself united independent I'm an army of one in the workplace and I'm gonna function in that manner that way I don't ever you know have any sort of thought process about uh, if anybody is looking out for me and it we're just about justice stopping any form of uh, mistreatment uh, in the workplace uh, because there's so much of it even if you work in an environment with all non-white people still unfortunately there's a lot of mistreatment so 
Yeah, unless somebody can think of something, if they, you know, if you can think of a remedy, if it, if it, if it would be worth it to pursue, like on social media, uh, to post these people's uh, names or the company, at least, I guess, then, you know, all the details about what happened, if folks think that that would be of some uh, benefit, uh, I'm not sure at this point how it would, I guess, if you just want, want it to be acknowledged what was happening so more people know about this, I guess. But like I said, if it, if you don't really have the pictures, then I think it could just be a he said, she said, and, you know, moving on. And they might even be motivated. I mean, if you saw them just driving down the road, it might even motivate them to, you know, escalate. Uh, and return their focus to you if you haven't had a problem and they've kind of moved on that might be one where it's best to just kind of move on and you know keep all the information there if anything does uh, happen again if you see the vehicle again that sort of thing but uh, yeah if you you know post on social media they could certainly you know get upset and say oh, we will get back to what we were doing before and maybe even escalate so that's something to keep in mind as well. But again, if other folks, if you have thoughts on how you would proceed with this, let us know. The number 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see. Uh, first few folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, if you all have commentary to share, suggestions or your own situation, line should be open. Proceed. Can I get in here? Uh, our caller in Ohio. Yes, sir. Uh, how's it going, Gus? I heard you out there at the beach. That's got to be nice. It's raining out here where I'm at. But I'm outdoors, and it's relatively nice. But what I wanted to uh, bring up was, uh, first, I had to get this one out the way. Because, I mean, since you're talking about the strippers, okay, in Atlanta, out there in California, uh, we don't, our strippers in Ohio don't look like that. But uh, what came to mind when you were speaking on it was that Juicy J song, Bands and Make Her Dance. And uh, it's quite interesting that, you're saying in a professional environment, some of the females you were working with had a side hustle as strippers. I, I've been to quite a few strip clubs. I'm not a, a strip club kind of store, but I used to think that they were just full of BS when they'd say they had a, a, another job. I, I just thought they were just professional strippers. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, I find that to also be um, strange that, you know, a, a female would go and do a job such as sexually provocative as being a stripper and then expect for there to be some type of safety in it. Um, this isn't a person who's working in a nursing home. I mean, you get naked and, and grind your genitals on a, a, a pole for dudes who are going to throw money at you. You get what I'm saying? But that doesn't mean they're supposed to be harmed or hurt, but I'm just saying certain activities, you got to take the risk that comes with it. Um, on to the uh, neurosurgeon, which is a very interesting story. That guy is from Africa, uh, a person who I grew up with. Uh, they actually were going to school to be a neurosurgeon. They're a black American. family comes from Carolinas through and through and all that. But when I was talking with him, he was telling me that uh, the few blacks who were in his class um, were all non-black Americans. Like they they had literally when they're from Africa, the Caribbean, places like that. He said it was like he was the only black American, which is very interesting. But 
long story short, you know, I think part of why he ended up getting into hard drugs and ended up uh, losing, almost losing his life. He's pretty much a, a paraplegic from my understanding of it now. Uh, is because of, in that environment, he's around nothing but wealthy people. A lot of those individuals that were in his class, they all came from wealthy families. Uh, and if their family wasn't excessively wealthy, and when I say wealthy, I'm talking about, let's say, you know, top 10% of, you know, wealth holders in America, if you look at it from a, you know, class standpoint, because it's so expensive. Like, he would tell me about how uh, when they'd have, like, different breaks throughout the process of becoming a neurosurgeon because there's a whole bunch you have to go through it's not easy at all it's, it's very very challenging uh a lot of the kids like they'd all agree on like who's uh either summer home or cottage outside the country you know what I'm saying that they go to and he's just traveling all around the world to all these different uh european and south american countries and china and all that because everybody who was in his class were all wealthy people and I think in a way that, that took a toll on him mentally because he comes from a working class family. And so to hear the guy talk about, you know, telling, you know, black kids that you can do it, I agree with you in that sense, uh, Gus, where you need to be very specific about what you can do. Um, even with what I do with technology, I'll tell black kids you can learn it, but I always bring up the fact that even with this knowledge and skill set and talent I have, white supremacy is still the biggest barrier that I got to deal with. It's not coding out the app. It's not figuring out the mathematical model. Those things are easy. It's dealing with these white supremacists that uh, your biggest challenge is going to be at. And part of, uh, for the guy that was doing neurosurgeon, who was going to be a neurosurgeon, well, he's not that now because he got strung out on uh, all types of hard drugs. I think he he's doing drugs. He, he told me about that were, were crazy, like, past meth and heroin and all that stuff. But uh, I think that accounted for the fact that he was in this environment where the white folks were just abusing you, but they keep you around because they can abuse you. One of the things that he was saying is he really didn't go to class all the time, but he was always able to pass tests and complete assignments because he took it upon himself to teach himself because the professors didn't want to give him appropriate assistance. Okay, so the neurosurgeon side, I, I know somebody personally, so from seeing their experience, it's sad. He, he went through it, and I guess it drove him crazy and, and ended up in the hard drugs and ended up uh, becoming a paraplegic. I guess somebody ran him over multiple times with a vehicle. And so the, the only, I guess, good takeaway from it, and I, I don't like to use that, but that's the only thing I can say, is uh, he was still on the, the university that he was at. He was still part of their program. So they cover all his medical expenses. And the guy who he said he was working on something with brain tumors, the guy that I know, he was part of a team, a research team that was working on some type of drug treatment that shrinks uh, brain tumors. And when he uh, left, I guess um, they were still doing I think he was on that about five, six years ago. But what was interesting, I just started seeing commercials about those treatments that he was telling me about that he was working on that research team with. So uh, I hope if you're a black person who does have a very unique skill, whether it's in medicine or something, an area that you generally aren't going to see black representation in. So when I talk to kids about tech, I tell them about the AI side of machine learning and the cool things you could do with it. 
But I encourage those of us who are in these spaces, when we talk to black kids, be honest about the fact that it's not the challenge isn't you, your intelligence. It's the fact that these white people are dedicated to racism and white supremacy to the point that they don't have a problem with sabotaging an important project just to undermine you. I'll uh, mute my line. Sabotage. I mean, again, you know, we were working at the strip club and, you know, they were coming and messing up your costume and, you know, you got the whatever that you're going to wear, your heels been broken, <laughs> that sort of thing. Like, you know, that's annoying. That's messed up. Shouldn't be happening. But I mean, we're talking the hospital staff and sabotage. Like, come on. Come on. Uh, and I'm not surprised. That's, you know, horrendous hearing about your uh, friend, victim of racism and, you know, all these substance abuse problems. Now, I mean, hey, that's kind of widespread in that profession. That's why they got all these protocols about uh, medications and what have you and all this opioid epidemic and everything else, you know, not being being kind of lax in how we, you know, administer and handle, allocate all these drugs uh, and what have you, at least as it relates to other white people. Uh, but him, you know, getting into all these drugs and, and all these problems, like I'm not surprised because that environment, in addition to it being so many very wealthy people, very racist. I'd even point to Dr. John Hoberman's book, Black and Blue, where that's like the main point of the book is that uh, many people, they talk about medical apartheid and they'll say that it's unconscious bias and all these other terms as opposed to, hey, these are, as you stated, very wealthy white people. Maybe they are just racist and that's reflected in the practice and how black clients are treated and reflected in what the medical institution looks like academically, meaning when you go to get that degree, who do we allow in? How much does it cost to get this degree? What's your experience like? What are you going to study? We've had folks who talked about how in that process you absent. He said he was conditioned not to address racism. That process is all throughout grad school and it's so many financial incentives along the way too because hey you got to spend all these years going to school and all these thousands could be hundreds of thousands of dollars for all of this mess around talk about some George Floyd Colin Kaepernick trying to get this degree man we got bigger ambitions come on man like it's real easy to get you to yeah that's true like I can do a lot of work after I get my degree blah 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 and all that but sabotage sabotage that's something I don't think enough black children hear that like it doesn't really matter what profession you pick. As I said, chicken nugget flipper, neurosurgeon, you can expect racists to sabotage you in the workplace. You have to be prepared. Much of blood and being honest with children. That's what I mean. Being honest. You go out and talk about tech, anything. Chicken nugget. Hey, I eat a lot of chicken nuggets more plants processed food is e have you end up uh like my man's grandmother and what have you with all these health problems and what have you fruits vegetables i had lots of fresh strawberries today neither here nor there um 
all of the abuse and sabotage in the workplace you have to be honest when we talk to children you can do all the studying and hard work but be honest about the racism you will experience even in route to getting the degree whatever the piece of papers and certifications that you need even if it's vocational school or whatever be honest about that don't send them off you know and then have them be stunned like what and same thing that he said where they're blaming themselves because I could do it all that's what they told me wasn't warned about all this sabotage uh, let's see get in one more email and then we'll get to other folks who dialed in the email until justice at gmail dot com next person uh, one of our oops okay uh, black female victim of racism she writes uh, I work two jobs and noticed how both of my employers are offering employee support about the Texas shooting, letting, letting employees take off, etc. When it comes to the Buffalo shootings, it was pure silence. I am only mentioning the difference in reaction uh, in that with the Buffalo attack, it was planned and clearly an act of terrorism towards black people yet there's no employee support for that any black person that fears for their life nothing was said now the Texas shooting they can acknowledge and offer employee support both acts of terrorism are bad but if black people are predominant victims there is silence even for the Russia-Ukraine war, both of my workplaces acknowledged it and offered support for employees who were of Ukrainian descent. <laughs> that, that's clowning. Now again, hey, anybody that's been mistreated, you know, that's correct. If they've been mistreated or harmed or they need help, that's, you know, uh, justice. Helping people who need help and helping people who need the most help. And that for sure would have to be victims of racism those designated black first and foremost uh, but I think that is super common uh, where it was not a whole lot of support and all this when it was just what's going on in Buffalo and Peyton Gendron now this and oh my goodness and if time off oh absolutely take as much time as you need and blah 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 and all the rest of it now again I would just as she's making a note for herself right your own understanding of how racism white supremacy works but it, I would not like if I had if there were five ten two uh, other black people and I mean like they all had eight uh, black designated black great grandparents all born in South Carolina and Florida let's say uh, even then I would not utter a mumbling word about any of this with them or anybody else. Just making an observation. Hmm. Nothing for Buffalo. Hmm. And then we got all this, the Texas shooting, all of it terrorism, but just, it seems there's support for some, not for others. Other folks with commentary to offer. Can I be heard? Can I be Stay on the sidewalk. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. 
while folks are getting uh oh did my audio do right all right make sure my audio did my audio okay my audio went out that is so crazy it's like what is going on here all right sorry about that audio went out uh, other folks who dialed in uh commentary to share can i be heard uh bay area mom yes ma'am thank you thank you for taking my call for reading to you and everyone on the line um so that com um the uh the clip you did with the uh the neurosurgeon, um, I just thought that was so, you go to school, you, you spend all that time, you work very hard, you work harder than anybody, probably, to get the information, to be told, no, what is it, 55 miles per hour? Yeah. So, that's interesting. And they just told him, well, hey, look, heard it on the floor, you can resign, you can do it. Because it's basically they're saying, we don't care what you think you are. You're just a monkey in the car. So that's what I thought when I heard the neurosurgeon uh, story. And um, all the strippers, huh? The strippers. uh, Yikes. So I was a little offended when they were trying to hype it up and say it was uh, in women empowerment to pelvic thrust and take your clothes off. I don't see anything empowering about having to strip. Stripper in this kind of like, uh, well, I, I don't know which is worse because, well, well, maybe it's a little different, but similar to prostitution to me because you're popping around hoping for the biggest tip and if they pay you enough, you're going to do extra. So I, I'm sure it's dangerous, duh, because you're teasing these guys popping around doing all the most. Of course, it's going to be dangerous. And as far as security, I've been to the strip club. Um, oh, oh, my. That is the worst place on the planet. I've never been to any in the city. Mm-hmm. I don't think right. Well, I had some. I know some ladies that used to uh, strip. It was awful. So you know, um, they needed. So sometimes they would have people come with them to watch their money or somebody to take their money, and I would get fussed at because I didn't like to go. So I would go, and then I would fall asleep, and then people thought I was on um, heroin. Um, it 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 it's. It's, I don't understand why you don't expect it to be dangerous. And, of course, they don't care about you. You're a stripper. So it's not a respectable um, gig. It's it's awful degrading. It's just legalized prostitution without having to actually sleep with the guys on the spot. So, um and there's all that alcohol you're drinking, and oh my goodness, it's awful. I don't know why you wouldn't you think it's going to be dangerous. Duh. Bring your own security. I don't expect these people to have security for you unless it's mandatory and depending on where you're working. Who cares? You're a stripper. Just pop it, drop it, pay your little fees, and go home. So, I don't know. That's just, eh. Good luck, strippers. 
Um, okay, real quick, real quick. Thanks for um, I still take the little boy to school, the little Spanish-speaking male. I take him to school, but I don't bring him home. Um, <laughs> I uh, his social uh, his foster mom called me this week and was just you know talking about him and um, how he um, how complicated he is at home uh, as far as however he is because he doesn't have a lot of home training because he's not at home. Um, and I'm sure he has anger issues. So, um, she says whatever and, uh, it's no big deal. She's just talking because I guess she was trying to let me know he wasn't going to go to school. And, um, I guess asking me, did I know, I guess what she was trying to say that I didn't understand until probably yesterday or today is that he was not going to go to school because, since I don't pick him up, he doesn't like catching a bark. And I guess he didn't want to, um, it, however it goes, maybe he was going to get out early and, or something and he just wasn't going to go. And then the lady said, well, if you don't go to school, if you're not going to school, that's fine. Just call your social worker and tell him to pick you up because you got to go to school to stay here. So I guess he just went to school, <laughs> I guess that's, but I thought she was saying that he was not going to go because of whatever, um, whatever I just said um, about the bar. So um, I, I didn't understand because her English isn't the greatest either. So um, when I didn't pick him up, I'm getting all these calls and I'm getting ready. So I, I didn't hear any of the calls. So I'm I've left already. But he you picking me up? No. I didn't talk to one going to school, and then he get a phone to the lady, and then I guess that's when she tried, you know, to let me know that I misunderstood her English. Anyway, so I take him back and forth. So the his caseworker, so the social worker and the caseworker. The caseworker is at school. The social worker is whatever that you get uh, as a, you know, the normal casement, uh, CPA, child protector, and all that mess. Those kind of social workers. So. Case manager is the reason why I know the little guy. I was going to be the go-to person if he needed somebody to talk to. He never thought he was going to need to talk to me. He, he, you know, I don't speak Spanish, and whoever I am, and I met him once. Uh, I knew about his history, and then you know, you read his, their behavior plans and all that. So um, he uh, never really, you know, his speak, you know, and go on about his business, but when I met him, you know, we, I was like, I oh, went and during the Zoom meeting, so that's when I became, you know, like, hmm, who is she? So, um, I'm able to talk to him um, on our ride, uh, you know, I talked to him real quick before he wanted to, you know, get on his phone, not like that, he uses his phone to play music through my stereo and I don't I don't know. I don't even know what I'm listening to. But I let him do his own thing just so so and it's not a bother to me. So um we talk about different like uh for instance I know his uh the social worker had said something about him wanting to be a drug dealer and that's why he wasn't qualified to get help because he didn't want it. He's just gonna be a dealer. So I had asked him you know why I had a moment. I said, um, 
So what you, you going to sell drugs where? Mexico. I said, you're not going to make it. I don't understand what you're doing. I like the way they got this, everything set up. You, you're you going to get caught. You're going to go to jail or some kind of detention center, however you do it. You're not going to make it as a dealer. you got to have something else in your head in real life. And he's never told me this mess, but somebody got to tell him something. I don't know how they communicate to him, but apparently it must not be working because we're still talking about it. So I said you're going to end up in juvenile or uh, jail or both, and then somebody going to snatch you up because you ain't that big, and they going to do something to you, and then your name going to be Brianna. That's what's going to happen to you. So you could think that you're going to make it in the dope game. You're not. You're too little, you're too weak, and you're not quick enough. You need to find you something else that you like to do and do it. And then he just chuckled a bit when I said his name was going to be Brianna because he knows that he's small. And he knows that it's possible that somebody will snatch him up and force him to do anything. So I didn't, I didn't hear nothing. I guess he had an issue with the case manager, which is also his teacher, which is the actual overload. It's too much for your case manager to be your te- teacher twice in one day. It is an overload, especially his style of teaching. It doesn't bother me, but apparently it looks like the kids are bothered with them. Asian male. Looks um, like he could qualify as a um, um, homosexual, whatever you call him. I don't know what's politically correct to call him. So um, maybe that gets some people nerve too. I don't know. So he had a bad day, I guess, yesterday. Um, I was talking to the uh, case manager, and he's just, you know, he just walked out of here. He told me he don't have to listen to me, and he don't want this. And I even offered to buy him lunch. I mean, you know, like, diddle. Uh, you know, he's hungry. You're in the foster home. And he's like, no, I don't want nothing. To and, blah, 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 blah. and said something crazy to me and left. So I said, I was just, you know, elaborating on what his makeup is. So you're expecting things from this child that he doesn't have. His English is his second language. And he's not, he's okay. But I mean, huh? What? Well, you know, so it's just, this okay, you know, so you can help him. He needs help with that. Um, the work is hard. He may not, if he's having a hard time speaking English, he might have a hard time reading English and comprehending English to get assignments done. It's hard. So you have to come at him from that on top of the fact that he has no nurturer. If he's been in a foster home for three years, his nurturers are maybe the people, the Spanish people, because there's a lot of Spanish people around, especially in the schools, and they gravitate to him for whatever reason. And um, they look out for him kind of like an auntie, uh, more than mother, sort of uh, like an auntie. So they, they look out for him um, to the best of their ability, but he's, he'll become a racist with them as well sometimes because depending on how his day is and his day depends on the fact that he lives in a, the foster home and the system is awful and this is how his case manager talks because the foster mom was telling me that his case manager had she adopted some kids and um they're hers you know because she adopted them and i guess uh he was like hey where your little monsters at and she's don't call my kids monsters they are not monsters what is wrong with you, you so that kind of thing so He's already uh, um, uh, uh, awful with 
the way he handles business. I'm sure there's some cases that he is great on, but on this one, I'm sure he could do a little better. Um, I understand that kids are defiant sometimes, and they 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 they'll say things that will frustrate you. But if you're in the business of being a social worker over children, you have to understand or try to understand how they operate, what's really going on to service them. You're not just a case manager looking at some letters that mean that make up words that describe whatever someone else said about these kids. They're damaged already because they've been separated from their home. Even though their home may be dysfunctional, they function in that dysfunction. And um, I don't know. So I do the best that I can to try to uh, help them. And then I told him this morning, I said, hey, look, I don't want to hear none of this mess. I don't want to read no emails about you saying whatever. Stop talking crazy to this teacher. All you got to do is what he say. It's, it, it, when it's all said and done, this is actually an adult, and it gets tougher than this. It gets tougher. So all I'm saying is you got two weeks, though. Look, I don't want to hear nothing about nothing. Go in there, do what you got to do, sit in them groups. If you feel like leaving or need a break, ask for a break. Go to your little office because he gets a lot of breaks as far as, especially because his counselor's right there. She's Spanish and love him. He just sits back in her room and just chills and talks about whatever it is he talks about, and he enjoys that. So if you need that moment, go ask for permission to leave and go take it. But I don't want to hear no mess. So I saw an email during the call from the teacher, and he said that he was, <laughs> the teacher said he was much more calmer today and relaxed and he wasn't, you know, combative. He did what he had to do, worked on his spelling words, but he hadn't studied them. No, I didn't tell him to study the words. I just, I didn't know nothing about the words. But at least, you know, I got my point across to where he heard what I said, Dagnabbit. So um, he does listen. So I don't know what they're going to do because after um, he graduates, I'm, I'm done. But I can get him to do certain things while I'm around. And that's it. Thank you for letting me ramble. I'll meet my life. Much obliged, Bay Area mom. Throw away children worldwide. My goodness. Uh, when you play around with sex, the joke is on the offspring. He said he had been in uh, foster care for three years. Jesus. Like, uh, man, now you want to talk about being uh, exploited, being a male, and then somehow your name being Brianna. Man, that's another environment. Maybe they're setting you up for the big one. Foster care, like, oh my God, like, uh, oof, oof, three years of it. Oh my goodness. Like, uh, that's who Jerry Sandusky, they always, they love that. Like, they're super vulnerable. Love those foster kids. Sometimes you can just be a foster parent yourself, then you could be paid to molest the children. Isn't that Antoine Fisher? People saw that one way back. Denzel Washington. Blackmail privilege. Anywho, uh, throwaway children, my goodness. Um, she started all this because she talked to us last week. She said this young victim, uh, they, you know, had these, big plans and all this other nonsense and <clears throat> everything else where they started off being all, you know, you've been lame and haven't been doing your job, getting, getting just child. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Y'all had a plan. Y'all were going to do this. Y'all talked all big and 
tough you were going to do a moment of silence for Oscar Grant on the Barton you remember all that you were going to have a buddy to escort him on the Barton and all that stuff and then you didn't even do it oh 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 yeah right 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 okay 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 see that's sabotage again see that's why I said it doesn't matter what you do you can just expect that blame lies all of it it's your fault Negra uh, and so she comes uh, back this oh when we said gas cut that was what I said last week she says hey, I'm willing to help this young fella young victim gas card man they say all that nastiness or silliness last week well we'll we'll see if we can how about with the gas we'll see if we can you know get you a few nickels come on man either do it or just make it plain like well you know we appreciate it but we don't appreciate it that much we're broke and maybe we can do a bake sale or something but we can't pay you sorry or and again we're in California really like you can't get a few nickels a gas card really so she comes around this week giving them a lift uh, to school he doesn't want to go I still don't know what his issue is with the Bart like she mentioned that last week where he doesn't want to ride now again I don't know maybe he's aware of Oscar Grant that's traumatizing that would be a reason not to ride but I mean even if that is then I would want to talk about that as opposed to just having to be he does see that's what I mean about the laziness with these white social workers like why does he not want to take the Bart like that should be explored. if I was a young person anybody you're in California even if we were in lame old Atlanta the Marta moving Africans rapidly through Atlanta. If I had the, I need like Marta is nowhere near as cool as the BART in the Bay Area. Like you can get way, way beyond, you know, you can get all over through the Bay Area. Anyway, if I had the option, like, hey, I could, you know, people will teach me how to do this and, and all that. And eh, I don't want to get on. Why? <laughs> what, what is the reason at least? Let's explore that. What is the fear behind this? Because like this is, I would think most people, the independence, you don't have to depend on, you know, your parents or foster care, guardian, whomever to get your ride. You can go out and do more stuff on your own, get to school and then go visit. And I mean, woo, it's lots of stuff to go see in the Bay Area. Even Atlanta, it's lots of stuff. Get around the city. Why would you not want to, you know, be independent? that's one not even have Eckworth they did you know maybe they can share later let us know why he doesn't want to do that she goes gets him a ride he doesn't want to go to school and all this now that part I get <laughs> not wanting to go to school and not I totally got all that and if English is not his first language like oh man like pfft, we don't even care about you niggers you're a Spanish speaking nigger and all that like we're not doing any extra care all of you get over there with the rest of them uh she says she had the young fella who said, hey, I'm going to do the drug thing. That's another one. Just, you know, hey, let's keep it real about what happens selling drugs. Pretty high likelihood that you're going to be arrested. Probably many times. Do you have a lawyer already lined up? They can be pricey. Might want to get to work on that too. Put money aside for that uh, retainer, I believe they call it. That's one. And then, yeah, what can happen when you do get arrested? convicted even if you have to spend some years in greater confinement get some of those reports with especially because you're out in california like i would get all those reports so they could see all that like the oakland riders they were just talking about the 20-year anniversary of that remember that when they're going out and pretending to be officers and pulling non-white people over and beating them down taking their money and all the rest of it the uh the gangs like they might call you brianna or they might make you do some of the uh 
prison gladiator games that they were talking about. Folks remember that? Because I think that was in California. <laughs> they were having them like fight, joust other inmates to the death and all this old Game of Thrones type midi. <laughs> like, I'm snickering, but I mean, this is what they said it was. <laughs> like, uh, oh my God. In North Carolina, they put hot sauce on their genitals. Like, there's a whole lot of things that could happen with that. Like, just being truthful. This is what we're looking forward to if you're going to do this. Find something where you could be safe. Be honest with it. You're anybody. If you, and I know it can be tricky if you're in a workplace situation, if you have white supervisors and white bosses directly, indirectly. That's generally the case where it can be difficult. But I mean, oof, I would try as best I can not to lie to any children. Try to give them constructive information so that they can be thinking more logically uh, trying to make logical decisions uh, both now and in the future, things that are going to help them develop their brain computer. Uh, and that just every report that she shares with us, it is so the opposite of all of that. Uh, I mean, I totally understand why he would be resistant, not want to go to school. If any of these folks, uh, young children, not want to go to school and, you know, I'm not doing it, all the rest of it. I get it. Whew. The alternatives are not better. That's the way Mr. Fuller generally approaches it. These are the alternatives if we do not do this. And law generally requires you to go to school if you're at a young age up to a certain point. So if you don't go, that just pushes you closer to the whole Brianna and Gladiator games that we were talking about before. So... And even once you do all that, they too generally send you back to school. Mr. Fuller points that out too. So if you're going to end up here eventually one way or another, might as well go and get and get it out of the way correctly the first time around, right? Just trying to be logical about things as best we can. Um, she said the whole the folks doing the stripper thing like I said that's been so heavily promoted and all the rest of it if you gotta do that not that that should be something with any glory or whatever if this is you know a short term two day one we just talked about the Duke lacrosse rape case and Crystal Mangum right okay now if you are gonna do that it should be really brief and that's another one let me be really honest about this environment now I go into people's houses Crystal Mangum eee. do I want even if I don't think she was raped eee. there were racist slurs do I want to be called a nigra and a cotton picker and all the rest of it hmm hmm at least I mean have a code so I'm going to be in a room with 30 drunk white men or non-white males or both or both genders whatever it is what's my code going to be so that I can stay safe do I bring people to come if you have any job like that where you know it's going to be dangerous something that's kind of irregular it's not the typical 9 to 5 office setting you had better have a code for your safety because wow it can get super dangerous like oh my god being choked did you hear that Oh my God, like have a code for your safety. If that means you bring someone, if the security is, you know, they're just there for decoration, as they said, or what have you bring a friend who's not going to have narcolepsy. Something happens. And I'm right here. Move. Sit down. Get your hands off her. What are you doing? 
someone reliable. I think Crystal Mangum said that she had that. She tried to have uh, a male who would be right outside because she was going to people's houses, which I mean, Jesus, like that. No way in the world. Uh, not for a day. I mean, woof. I'm asking to die like right now. Will is made out before this happens. Anything could happen. Going to somebody's house like my God. Uh, but at minimum, if you're at a club or what have you, like you got to have your security, whole safety program together. And again, this should be like we just don't do this system of white supremacy. We're not in training to be whores. There's nothing glorious about a stripper pole regardless of how many songs and rap videos we might see to the contrary uh, let's see get in one more email uh, as we roll until justice at gmail.com uh, let's see this was we got a number of COVID-19 updates uh, this here week so we'll get some of those in as well uh, let's see uh, alrighty first one <clears throat> Uh, vegan RD she writes greetings to Gus the listeners and callers I spoke to my older children attempted stepdaughter and daughter about Joseph Christopher bravo that is what we are supposed to be doing mandatory Glenn Dunn Christopher's first victim that we know of was 14 years old that's why you gotta do what vegan RD did uh, vegan RD did you have to speak with your children about white supremacy, racism, and then you got to make it plain. Talk to them about what happened in Buffalo before and now. She continues, they were surprised. I also informed my attempted husband. He was not surprised. Good for him. Workplace racism. This week has been so busy. I'm grateful for the a nurse practitioner, white female, deciding to spend the majority of her day in her office. It's so pleasant in the nursing station. However, I am working. <laughs> I felt like the dramatic music was about to, to enter. However, I'm working with several non-white people who need so much assistance. I've been trying to help a family find a low-income home in New York City. It's so difficult and near impossible. That's the case lots of places because of white supremacy. She wants to move to the shelter, but I talked her out of it. I don't know why she would want to go to there. The shelter system is horrible. They move you all around the city, and you can't even stay there all day. You must leave at a certain time. Keep those is moving it's so destabilized deliberately she's better off living at her family's place she's also at risk of things being stolen from her and being physically assaulted we keep hearing that about safety i hope i can help her find a place before she impulsively moves to a shelter i'm trying to maintain my persistence in this goal uh, I'm often teaching patients about setting boundaries around interactions with their attempted family. I use Mr. Fuller's recommendation recommendation of no contact, no conflict. I try to help them plan ways to create boundaries with that recommendation in mind. A victim, non-white, classified as Hispanic, informed me her four-year-old son, non-white, classified as black, told her that he wished he was white Gust he said the exact same thing verbatim at almost I think the exact same age I was about four I said the exact same thing to my mother hearing this made me feel so sad <laughs> to be 
No surprise there at all. That's what happens in the system of racism. White supremacy is a sickness. Indeed, she told me that she told him that his skin is beautiful and reminded uh, and reminded her of his favorite basketball player, LeBron James. Looks like, oh, she reminded him that his favorite basketball player, LeBron James, looks like him. Uh, she discussed ways to explore where he is getting this message from. She plans to inquire. That that when anybody hears that, in my opinion, the best response, all that is great about, you know, LeBron James and everything. That's great. Nothing incorrect there. But that is one. If you can, if you can, I know it's difficult. If it's if it's like your child, your grandchild or your niece or whatever it is, even if it's just some a child that, you know, they don't have to be uh, genetically connected per se. But if you just you've had contact with them or what have you, man, if you can be like as scientific counter racist as possible in my view the best response is oh they man I wish I was white really how come do not say a word no judgment no oh really how come hmm fascinating and just I wouldn't even say that it wouldn't even be active it's just listening like wow and once they're done if you haven't got another because man I would ask like the tacky metaphor like lick the bowl I would get as much information as she's saying like all of that I would have wanted beforehand where is this coming because that's what I'd be thinking like where is this coming from I bet I would bet all the money in the world Gus T started as a worthless Negro from Virginia 13 and a half years later still a worthless Negro in Virginia but I have three MacBook Pros now I would bet them all I bet there's a television there not that that's the end all be all to it all but we that is a significant chunk of especially if he knows who LeBron James is got to be a television there so that's one but that's how we're all that word conditioned that's how we're all conditioned but that's what I would do I would just ask like wow why do you say that how come what would be different if you were white that's just to see what they say long as they want to talk and share like have you thought about this like how do you think things would be different if you were white just see hmm very and then you can give all the you know hey LeBron James is not white and you think he's amazing and blah 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 and all this other stuff look at his wife look at his children and blah 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 and all that you know blah 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 and then pick out other people your family hope you've got lots of pictures of your lovely family all over the wall or his lovely family on the walls your grandmother she's awesome she's not white and blah 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 and like I said now unfortunately in most homes for victims of white supremacy I'd say over 90% of us you might have a billion photographs of your relatives, you, whole family, all throughout the house, smiling, great times, no conflict, having a great time, doing spectacular things. I suspect the largest image in most people's residence is that screen, which is generally going to have someone classified as white time to time there might be a Chris Rock Will Smith LeBron James 
But generally, it's going to be somebody classified as white. They might throw a Leroy Horton in there from time to time, O.J. Simpson from time to time, but generally, somebody classified as white. Anywho, but what a moment. Let's see. Continuing. She says a victim, non-white, classified as Hispanic. Oh, we got that far. She told me that she told him skin like LeBron James. She believes it may be from his school. She also informed me that her non-white relatives also speak poorly of her black. Oh, that's right. I forgot. This is non-white mom, so-called Hispanic with a black child. Oh, God. That's going to be like a whole lot when you have that dynamic where they're non-black non-white relatives who uh the anti even if it was all black people like the anti-blackness is ferocious but that would just amplify it and then the tv like oh whoo when you play around with sex the joke is on the offspring for sure uh let's see they state that her son attending a good school and staying away from his father's side will help prevent the animal from waking up inside of him. I could fall out in the floor because she has that in direct quotes like that's what she said. Oh, I'm wounded. I'm wounded. I'm wounded. Oh, you got to stay away from that black male raping no count Negro who is the man not he's not even a human being because he's got that animal Negro blood. And then you turn on television and get Harry Potter or whatever. I mean, black self-respect annihilated at age four. Yes, I would like to be white. This sucks. At least not Negro. This sucks. Ugh. Uh, stay away from that. This was hard to hear, indeed, but it's part of the system. Hating blackness and darkness, same thing, is part of racism. Daily, I'm reminded of how the system of white supremacy has made us all monsters and monstrosities. Best vegan RD. Well, that is why we have the program super deflating, but I mean, wow. Oof. Um, parenting is super difficult. There's so much to talk about before you even get to the bed for offspring. Heard that from uh, Bay Area mom as well. I mean, wow. Got to have honest conversation before even having those offspring. Uh, once they get here, this is what you can. This is the environment that you're going to be welcoming a black child to messing around with sexual activities. Mm. Just devastating. Uh, the number again is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. That right there, you have a child at four saying that they want to be white. That means they want to talk about racism. That's what that means. Other folks who dialed in. Greetings. Retired firefighter in Florida. Yes, sir. Interesting talk today, tonight. Uh, my uh, contribution, contribution, uh, uh, I heard you was talking about a uh, neurosurgeon. 
Uh, I grew up across the street. I would say probably about 25, 30 feet uh, from a gynecologist. Uh, he's about maybe about 10 years older than me. Uh, a gynecologist and a commercial pilot. Brothers, two brothers. One a lot older than the other. Uh, the gynecologist uh, he worked for quite a long time. Most doctors do. Uh, and uh, was popular, quite popular in uh, Miami area. Uh, and uh, also had an article space in uh, the uh, quote-unquote black newspaper in Miami, Florida, called the Miami Times. Uh, he, I heard he eventually had to stop practicing uh, because he is going blind. He's going blind. So that, that would kind of like uh, uh, greatly handicap uh, your skills as a uh, physician slash gynecologist. Uh, interesting with the brother, the younger brother who, uh, he, he didn't fly people. Uh, basically he, uh, flew, uh, uh, freight of different types, all different types, uh, which actually was a trigger that got him in trouble. Although he was innocent. Uh, I don't know if it was Amazon or some other company that's similar to Amazon on what company he represented, but somehow somebody stole cocaine on his aircraft. And uh, law enforcement uh, basically uh, involved him in it. Uh, everybody that knew him uh, uh, understood that he was innocent. Uh, but nevertheless, I think he was suspended from his job uh, for almost a year, if not a, over a year. Uh, and he used a lot of his uh, money uh, resources, and eventually he uh, was ruled innocent and, uh, you know, retained his job. That, that incident actually took place probably about, not going on now, almost maybe 15, 20 years ago. Uh, I'm sure he's still a pilot now. I haven't seen him in a while, but he's still, a, I'm sure he's still a pilot now. Uh, stripping. <laughs> Interesting subject. I have some war stories <laughs> on the subject. Uh, the last place, the last station I worked at uh, before retiring had two strip clubs uh, almost within walking distance. First thing I start off by saying it, it, and it wasn't Miami Gardens. It was still Carroll City uh, at the time. And uh, I can recall, I can recall going, going by uh, the fire, the first star fire station I ever worked at. And the, the strippers were protesting. They were out, they were out protesting. Uh, this was back. This was back about maybe twenty five, thirty years ago. They was out protesting and whatnot for some sort of 
mistreatment they felt on the on the job, uh, and it was right right by the station because this particular uh, uh, strip strip uh, uh, I, well, everybody called them strip joints. Uh, it it was a leftover from when the whole area that's called Miami Gardens was inhabited by white people. And uh, they were out protesting and whatnot. Uh, it was bl- some black females that was involved. I don't know what exactly what they were protesting about. Uh, I, I would just state, and I, I really can't tell people what to do, but I would figure that that a stripper is probably what should be low on a female's list of choices to get compensated for. Uh, I would figure, first of all, uh, it is good to have a healthy sense of shame to not to want to take all your clothes off in front of a whole bunch of males primarily who are, full of alcohol and some other type of different substances. And there's all kinds of issues that goes on within that environment. Matter of fact, I don't see the environment different from any other organized criminal element, the people who control the the, uh, the businesses. Uh, going on constantly, going on calls for uh, uh, fights, and and these are the, the, the these are the strippers fighting each other. Uh, I mean, really fights three four o'clock in the morning. One young lady yelled out in in the crowd, "They don't have anybody protecting. The, we don't have any protection." I'm saying to myself, three four o'clock in the morning. You know, uh, you probably need to be on a job other than this one. Uh, I said that to myself on the job, uh, one particular case where female had a cyst underneath her armpit. Uh, and you know, you go to the doctor to get the, the cyst taken out and you, and they will sew you back up. She goes back to this filthy place dancing and the, the, the stitches bust and she still is dancing in this filthy place. And I, I, I literally mean filthy, filthy place, and uh, keeps dancing until the infection she has uh, starts really ailing her. We go and go go and and uh, patch her up, you know, to go to the hospital and whatnot. And 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 some of the guys was actually, you know, trying to. Why are you in here? You know, she literally has the old saying, "White meat <laughs> laying out." Laying out, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, this is where she's at. Uh, you know, that, that type of thing. And uh, this this is what uh, uh, some of my experiences uh, on that particular job when it comes to that particular, uh, I don't want to use the word, but I'll use it anyway right now until I think of something better, profession. Uh Yeah. I mean, you you had you you had uh, uh, people connected with the mafia that was that was uh, owners of these type of businesses. There's not too many black people, from my understanding, that has a liquor that has possession of a liquor license. 
so most of them are owned by white people. You may see black people behind the bars uh, as managers and whatnot, uh, but the owners primarily are white people because they have possessions of what is called a liquor license. And uh, the lowest level commodity in that establishment are the strippers, from my understanding. Uh, to be logically speaking, you, you can, you know, there's so many, there's so many people who are abused and abused as children that are female. Unfortunately, nowadays that uh, and that and you know, and if if, if she is considered to be attractive uh, and does and, and and does not have a healthy sense of shame uh, because you know being mistreated as a child by other people. Uh, you're probably not going to run out of that that type of situation to take advantage of. And uh, that's all I have to say. Thank you for listening. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. Not the healthiest environment at all. But, uh, yeah, like, my goodness, I'm not surprised. Lots of uh, lots of unsightly stories from that sort of environment. Uh, definitely lots of victims out there who've been abused uh, as children and what have you. That contributes to all of that as well. Oof. Um, make sure I get through my emails as well, and then we'll nab our other callers that we missed uh, totally. Uh, let's see. One of the emails that I missed, or at least have not read yet, uh, see. Okay. Uh, all right. So this is our female victim of racism. She has been writing about her white female supervisor, right? And then being sabotaged this time uh, by a female victim of racism, uh, where she's been saying that she thinks that this is like direct orders. This is what, you know, she's supposed to be doing sabotage and manipulate this black female, the, our black female who's writing us. She is supposed to be supervising this non-white female who's doing all the sabotaging. So she writes this week. Hi Gus. I believe I'm the only person at my place of work of thousands who wears a mask in the workplace to avoid contracting COVID. I heard a senior manager state that COVID is over. Then say that procedures are in place. Should another then say that procedures are then say that procedures are in place should another outbreak occur question mark i am currently working from home four days a week so there could be more people wearing masks but i suspect it's a very low number i caught a racist suspect female staring at me three times i put this down to the fact that i was wearing a mask i decided against asking her what the hell she was staring at or if there's anything I can help her with as I'm still new to the organization and have no idea who she is avoiding problems. I think that that is smart. Uh, even though if the, uh, may I help you? I think that's always reasonable. Uh, you know, if, if you're not sure what's going on or if they, you know, recognize your face or whatever it is, but I always think that's if you're in a new environment while you're trying to still figure things out, learning who these folks are, proceed with caution, advisable. She continues, I met the non-white black female who I allegedly manage 
we met face-to-face for the first time in two weeks after she started. I told her and my manager that I would be wearing a mask in advance of me going into the office. I also told them that I do not eat out and will not be shaking hands due to having contracted a severe case of COVID. So I am very cautious and they should not take offense. They claimed to understand. However, the non-white female on greeting me for the first time put her arms out to hug me. Oh God. See, we went black and I'm proud. The non-white female put her arms out to hug me, stating you probably don't want to hug me. I said no. She then said don't worry. I'm not going to infect you. It was there and then I realized I would have problems with her either because she is trifling or because she is just so unaware of what is coming out of her mouth and her actions. I wasn't sure which one. I made a point of saying I did not say you were infectious. I am wary of catching COVID. Just in case she decided to say I made her feel uncomfortable. I'm glad I went with my intuition as she is most definitely trifling and dangerous. I also observed that she likes to hug random people in the obvious, including her previous very posh white manager. Uh, we've talked about the hug thing on the program before. I can only say really quick, I'll get back to uh, the email. Like, <laughs> just making it like flagrant. Like, I do not do hugs. I'm all about business. Like, I'm here to be courteous. Any help, anything that I can do to assist anybody here, but I do not do the hugs. Uh, I've heard folks even add in, I'm a parent. You know, I have small children and I just don't want to take any chances and spreading any, anything to them. Certainly in the era of me too, like, hey, I'm good on all of that. Let's all keep our paws to ourselves. And then having people who insist, oh, I've already told you. And that's one that you just tell them every time. If I have to tell them every day, no problem. And then the sneaking up hugs, we talked about that too. We had a white one. She would sneak up. And, oh, just look at every time it's me too keep your hands to yourself this is not a joke back up and I mean using a hand back up off give me 50 feet do not touch and I mean this is when you can practice serious voice speak if you want to speak with HR about this in advance you know all of that but I would just make it very serious I'm not playing any games everybody keep their hands to themselves again if I was a black person I'm not going to be allowed to just go out and paw and grab on everybody that I want to you won't give me a call come on Mm. give me some sugar too Mm. Sound like Strom Thurmond. She continues. Let's see. She is bold and disrespectful. She feels comfortable enough to make jokes about wearing her mask. She does not to other colleagues, including my white manager in front of me. I take this as an attempt to belittle me. Again, I am her manager, allegedly. I said nothing. Just observe the interaction between her and my racist manager, who also said nothing. Last week, I reported that my racist manager emailed me to say she was happy to be copied into emails. This was after the non-white black female copied my manager into an email. 
She meant to blind copy her, and I asked why. The non-white female has still not answered my question. However, this week, she sent me an email on another matter and at the end stated that she did not copy my manager in and that I could decide whether or not I wanted to copy her more sass. I think this was another scheme concocted between her and my racist manager to stop me copying in the white racist manager. I'm also very sure she blind copied my manager. I think that too. She copied her anyway. Clearly my manager emailed me that she was happy to be copied into me emails. She was replying on behalf of the non-white female. What they did not anticipate is that I would assume that meant I could also copy her in. Now the non-white female was doing more of the racist manager's bidding trying to stop me copying her in. I ignored her and copied my manager into my response not commenting on whether I will copy in my manager or not. I do not report to the non-white female so I am not getting into a debate with her. Good job. Well, this seemed to send my manager over the edge as she came at me with more accusations during my one-to-one -one meeting. She informed me that I am not giving the non-white female work at the right level. She gives the non-white female assignments which I have mirrored and that I need to coach her. I took this as some more unjust networking and the non-white female blaming me because of her lack of understanding. I said very little and maintained my composure. Good job. I remained polite and professional but did not do any overcompensation. Fake happiness, extra smiling, as I am not happy. This was uncomfortable for me, but I'm glad I was able to remain professionally pleasant and serious. My composure seemed to unsettle my manager even more. An hour later, she typed me in the online chat, which will be deleted after 30 days, that she is sending apologies in advance and retrospectively, if she is short with anyone, blaming this on her workload. This was the chat solely for the senior management team so the non-white female was not included. The other racist suspect female in the senior management team responded to say everyone has off days but I don't believe she knew what was going on. I doubt very much my racist manager disrespects her. I believe the same thing. She does not talk all wild and make wacky unfounded accusations to white people. Uh, I'm sure the tacky note was to me but it wasn't addressed to anyone. I wasn't looking for an apology and I guess none was made. So I ignored it. She made a few more jabs toward me later that day. Again, I maintained my composure. I had a one-to-one -one meeting with the non-white female in the afternoon going over things I've already spent time explaining to her and previously sent her detailed notes on. I then summarized the discussion and copied in my manager. This is a chain of emails from all the one-to-ones I've carried out with a non-white female should my racist manager carry, care to read it. I will now make a point of copying in my manager to all emails sent to the non-white female and will follow the vegan RD suggestion of summarizing every occasion the non-white female asks for additional advice. I've taken a few days leave, which was very much 
needed. This gave me time to think and I've reached the conclusion that this situation will not get better so it's time to move on. It's a big organization so I'm going to start applying for roles in other teams. I have no interest in the double act between the non-white, fem- non-white black female and my racist manager. I started working with the racist in February and the non-white female in March. Way too much abuse in such a short space of time. Thank you for the platform. Gotta love Cheetos. That's one thing I would say like, that's why I always say like, hey, at least in my view, counter racism in the workplace is not as much about, or it's not at all about being like mum silent I mean you don't say anything to anybody in the workplace contraire it just means that you're very precise i'm not here man did you see that steph curry man that clay thompson is awesome Ooh, i can't wait for the finals Ooh, no i'm never talking and did you see what happened in uvalde what do you think of the police response what do you think about buffalo eh. why don't you all have counseling here for the buffalo situation eh. i'm not talking about anything but things related to the job now she said at the very beginning this is a place with lots of employees hey big organization i can be learning oh maybe there's another branch another department i don't even have to work here you could be learning all that that's why i'm always a big advocate just get as much information about the place where you work the people that you work with that can be so beneficial in so many ways. I'm never gossiping about coworkers or what we, you know, are going to stream on Netflix for the weekend. Never. Constructive information that I can use. Thank you kindly. Now, composure, we heard that a lot in here too. I think that's so important. Even where she got to the point of saying, I'm going to take some days off because this is ridiculous. Recharge, replenish. That is so important when you feel like, whether it's victims, the racists, all of the above have really you know gotten to you a little bit take time that is so important that's how you instead of binging on the cheetos ben and jerry's or not eating at all take that time you can get outside you can do some yoga you can eat well you can rest well make an assessment of your situation and figure out the best way to proceed hugely important self-care and taking time personal days vacation whatever it is especially now that it's warmer you can get out enjoy some sunshine best thing ever Uh, when the accusations and what have you start it is so I think critical to maintain that composure where you don't get rowdy and all that calm that's when being precise Take some time to pick your words, how you want to respond. Lots of asking questions once you've been accused of some wrongdoing. Thought it was great as well. The no response when the white woman sends her tacky uh, kind of apology is so tacky. She can't even make a direct apology to you. Just kind of be general, generally stated to other people that can be like, what is Did you see this from Samantha? Don't you Oh, it's it's all right. We all have off days, I guess. I don't even know what she's talking about. Because they don't talk to me all wacky. We don't talk to other white. He's just talking to the nigger. But I can't even, you know, just go to I'm, my bad. My father get, got you some peanut M&Ms here. My bad. I'm going to try and do better. Not that that would make it any better because then she came and said that she came back later on the same day and was doing more mistreatment. So it's, you know, whatever. 
Uh, let's see. Anything else? All this joking about COVID, uh, I would totally ignore. As she said, nothing to say if it's non-white people, if it's individuals classified as white, if it's both. I do not care. That one, I'm not here to talk about this, so I'm not going to explain why I'm wearing a mask, why I'm not wearing a mask, what my vaccination status is. None of that is subject for conversation and they can say whatever. Oh, we got this old, you know, you all silly. Got to have your mask on. <laughs> oh, I can tell you I got to. I don't have anything to say about all of that. Any of that. Do whatever you're going to do. Say whatever you're going to say. I would ask them, you know, I'm not in for the hugging. I'd make that very clear. Whatever you got to say and your jokes and everything, you know, do it from your safe space or what have you. Don't touch me or what have you. But other than that, like, psh- I don't have a word to say. My safety is not anyone's concern here or it shouldn't be. I'm not in here asking you 20 questions about your vaccine status and how many people you touched today, how many times you washed your hands. Uh, let's see. Anything else? Oh, and I think continuing the copy of the manager, I think that is constructive as well. I wouldn't even, I have no problem with what they call transparency. I'm trying to do the right thing and trying to protect myself. So I think until you figure out where you want to relocate and if it's a new department or how you want to do that, I think that is absolutely logical to proceed with this blonde copy. Everybody, even with these summaries, when you have to go back and repeat information. Let's see. Much obliged uh, folks that we missed totally. Uh, number again, 720 seven one six seven three hundred the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one to chime in hello Irie in Louisiana yes ma'am oh wait a minute was that caller in Georgia my bad I saw did see Irie there too but I think that was our caller in Georgia was that our caller in Georgia Yes. My fault. My fault. Okay. Um, good evening, everyone. I hope, or afternoon, depending on where you are. I hope everyone's having, I guess it's evening, but I um, hope everyone's having the best day or whatever they can have. Um, I think in terms of black people, where they work, um, we know unless you work inside the home, where you're not going to people's homes, like my seasonal job where I work inside the home and they send me everything to do what I need to do. Um, most of the jobs now are not safe. You can't work in the supermarket. You can't work in school. Um, you, you know, your mental health is affected almost everywhere. So um, wherever you work, you know, if you can do whatever you can to make it as safe as possible, whether someone thinks highly of it or not, you know, if you are black and you have the opportunity to do that, um, I'm all for you doing that. Um, if you can work at a place where um, where your profession is seen as different, um, as, I guess, normalized or whatever, um, if you can do that, you know, I say if, but sometimes, you know, you know, people, they get falsely arrested and 
sometimes real arrested and things happen and, you know, there are only so many jobs they can go back to for whatever reason. So, you know, if that's the best job you can get, you know, as long as it's legal, not, of course, nothing legal. If that's the best job you can get, you know, like you said, have a code about it. And, um, but it is important to remember that when you play around with sex, the joke is on the offspring, not just having the offspring, but the reputation, your reputation can be attached to that offspring as well, causing them problems, no matter what type of occupation you have. So be mindful of that as you know, as you carry yourself throughout your work. And if you can, if you are in a position to help someone not be in a job that you don't think they should be in, you know, we can talk about people all day long. If you're not going to help them out of that position or give them some advice to help them out of that position, you know, my personal quote is just to go on and leave them, um, you know, just pray that they can, you know, do the best they can. Um, I guess I just and I'm fortunate. I've watched way too much TV. Um, I've never, ever, even now, even all the things that we go through, never, ever wanted to be a white person. I've always been happy to be classified as black. I know some people may not have gone through things, you know, whatever. I don't know. What do they, you know... Have to be careful, you know. Sometimes it well take the the good things with the bad things. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna figure out not to use a metaphor with that. With the good things, bad things that I think are good, and things that you know I possibly think are bad. I appreciate how I was made and the color that I have. Thank you. Our caller in Georgia, black self-respect, much obliged. Um, I would definitely ask that's if somebody is working a uh, strip club or any other job that is dangerous. And hey, like she was saying, hey, even the school is unsafe. The grocery store is unsafe for sure. Um, but yeah, like things that are helpful. Do you have a code to keep yourself safe? That would be a good one. Like... uh yeah, and then if you can help any assistance, anything we can do to help, you know, get that resume touched up or do you need any help? Like, yeah, any of the any of the professions that are especially dangerous, like, yes, if it's anything that you can do that is constructive and assistance, help them transition to a better plantation, a safer plantation. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Folks that we miss totally. Uh, if you have, Hello. there was Irie in Louisiana. <laughs> yes. Uh, I wanted to share something uh, that I observed today at a youth uh, career fair. Um, something that could be constructive. I don't know. But I know it's a topic that has been discussed on context of white supremacy 
in detail. Um, I went to a job fair for teenagers, um, you know, uh, juniors, seniors. Uh, there was a, a sundry of people there, but it was kind of the same occupation. So it was like two stylists. There were two photographers or maybe one videographer, one photographer. Uh, the army was there. Um, some personalities like radio personality types. Um, and one counselor. Uh, so, um, basically the people that, oh, and some basketball players and a, and a graphic designer, technically he's more like a fashion designer. So, um, I was able to share constructive information with him about, um, getting his, uh, industry code, which is kind of what somebody just talked about. He can help somebody get a better job. And I told him he'll need that if he tries to pursue business with the state or federal government or get a grant to teach because he had like a constructive outline on how to start a clothing line for the kids. Um, but his table wasn't being frequented. Um, the table that was, was, were, or the tables that were, were, um, the, the beauticians and none of them were wearing natural styles. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm just observing and all the, teenage girls that were there, everybody had on lace fronts and lashes just about. Um, so I went to the army table and specifically asked them what is there uh, anything being done to curb the sexual violence and murder on the army bases um, and they said that the army has a new policy where when a person has to take a get certified to become like a, I don't want to get it wrong. Someone that basically uh, supervises or or accompanies you along the way with your complaint from start to finish, and that now there's an absolute zero tolerance policy on rape and any other sexual violence to the point that if a person, he said, and I quote, now in the army you're assumed guilty before innocent. And I didn't know if that was a good or bad thing because that's, I don't know. I don't know if that's really justice, but it sounds like the army probably is tired of being embarrassed because he also said it's making us look bad. And I thanked him for his time. And then, uh, I also observe, you know, we just have a, a, a long way to go for anybody that wants to organize for the youth. Um, anything, you know, there was music being played during like these breakout sessions and it was too loud. And one of the stylists was like, can you tell the DJ to turn it down? And I was surprised that he was even playing music like that because it's scintillating. Like it's, it's, it's club music. And then I heard, uh, one song in particular, I'm sure everybody by now has heard by accident, that independent song by, I think it's Mabusi. And it wasn't even edited. So I heard A-double-S. I said, oh, oh, we didn't use the radio edit. Okay. And so then toward the very end before they credited everyone, there was a 
Lord Jesus, I don't know how to call it, like a pee-popping contest. I was like, wow, we we doing a pee-popping contest at the career fair for the teenagers. I don't know if this is supposed to be happening, but I'm still learning. And that's basically all I wanted to share. Um, yeah, but it looks like the Army's trying to do something about uh, perhaps the violence and the uh, the deaths. And that's it. Thank you. I'm so not surprised with the uh, sounds that were being played in the background. Um, Black, do I have the sound clip? This is such a great time to include it. Let's see if I can find it quick and then make sure we don't miss any of our callers. Let's see. Is it there? Uh, let's see. All right. Oh, might have messed up the sound clip. Oh well. Um, hmm, that's odd. Uh, oh, it's have to reload. There it is. Oh well, it took too long. Anyway, uh, I'm not surprised about the sounds and all that being played. I mean, just not being serious um that I mean, if this is a career fair like it should be super serious like if we're gonna have a breakout session you can go get a snack if there's going to be mute like let me give you this for an example i've been going to the university of washington over the last few months since it's been or since i've been studying both for uh Zachariah Walker's lynching and Essie Mae Washington Williams book and then now with uh, Joseph Christopher right the University of Washington's uh, Suzalo Allen library during the middle of the day on weekdays like today if you go at like one o'clock or so their breakout session if you want to call it that they have like a violinist a celloist few other folks small little symphony they come down the ground level of the library and they'll play live music for like 30 minutes or so softly then the people will come that are studying they'll come and sit in the foyer and look on the balcony and listen and you can st- you're in the library so you can still get work done just oh got the nice music i was there. i was reading no interruption not no uh, do you know what floor? What? Do you know what floor? What? I can't hear. Do you know what floor? Boom. What sort of message are we sending? Anyway, on top of all of that with the military, like, hey, we got all this in Ukraine and what have you, and we got to recruit. We got to send folks out to do fighting and shooting and killing, especially non-white people. Might be messing up our ability to recruit. Yeah, people think, oh, we're going to get raped. They're going to Levina Johnson us if we join the military. Like, we just have this going on unchecked. Man, make things more difficult. So we got to at least make it look like, oh, yeah, we cleaned that up. We don't do Levina Johnson type stuff anymore. No way. And that does not, as a black male, that does not make me feel good at all. Like, now, phew, you are assumed you're like whoa 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 Emmett Lewis Till's father 
was also lynched and accused of raping a white woman while he was in the military overseas no less so no that does not sound like an improvement at all anywho we talked about that with Jane Daly white woman she was a guest on the program that's kind of a central uh, theme in her book that the gold ring that they identified Emmett Till at 14 lynched and castrated in Greenwood Mississippi that ring belonged to his father also accused of being a worthless raping negro much obliged uh, Irie in Louisiana wonder when the white people when they go for their career fair do they have loud music playing at the breakout session where nobody can hear what's being said oh incidentally before we nab but folks we missed totally now she did say they went they were going around different folks you know who was getting attention at their booth and what have you but within all that she did say they had the beautician and it seemed like a lot of the folks with the hair and the lashes and all of that like hmm that did not sound like crystal black an image of crystal black Dr. Welsing would talk about that did not sound like that at all this is the same program we had uh, I think that was Vegan RD talk about uh, speaking to a victim of racism and apparently the child at four years old saying I wish I was white widely manifested within the system of white supremacy racism sickness lots of uh poor or ill conditioning folks that we missed totally uh, with a hand up if you have commentary to share proceed may I be heard our caller in Florida yes sir yes sir thank you very much sir greetings to Gus the host the listeners and callers. Um, I want to report some uh, things that I've noted and made or uh, other victims have made reports to me about. The first one is uh, the cell phones from the office white women click it seems to have uh, come up again. And uh, like I said, we have uh, a new person that has replaced the white woman that's been working there for 37 years. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I think she's going back up to um, maybe Indiana or somewhere up north or something. But anyways, she influenced a lot of younger and older suspected white supremacist females and they still have this chat going on I suspect so one of the white women which is my supervisor said in a meeting on Wednesday that they're going to start documenting uh, people who have their cell phones out or texting or things like that. And I just think that's where it comes from, the 
dedicated unjust networking that they used to do on the emails. Now they are, I think, for some time now doing it on the texting, like on the phones, uh, talking about the the black female supervisor in the civil area. And I suspect that she knows she's being mocked and ridiculed, okay, because he, she and another and a black male, they're in so-called higher positions or whatever, but, you know, um, the reason I mention this is because there apparently has been um, uh, a one white woman, she just started not too long ago, said something that wasn't accurate about the black female supervisor saying that, oh, well, you'll just have to do it on your own or something like that. Um, you'll have to figure it out. You just need to figure it out. And I don't know if it was something taken out of context or what, but apparently there was a meeting that occurred where she wanted this white woman in the same conference room to say that this is what I said. That's not what I said. So uh, I'm not entirely sure on how the meeting went, but this is a new person, and all of a sudden she is uh, going to admin about something about her saying you have to just deal with it or something like that. Um, I wanted I wanted to also mention that because there's a particular white woman that the warden has helped get back in because see about three or four white women they retired and then they came back you know fifty eight fifty seven years old something like that and they are helping this one in particular is helping to undermine uh the black female supervisor in the civil area. Um, even it's been reported to me that she said, why don't you cry? You know, why don't you show any emotion? You know what I mean? So dehumanizing the victim and just helping to, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say take on her wing, just influencing, uh, being non-constructive, with new, particularly new white staff members, okay, that come into the area and they're on that side of the building. Um, also, a younger white woman, and they were in the uh, the break room, and she used this metaphor uh, in regards to speaking about either one of the black male or black female managers when it comes to being called in the office. She says, that's the problem. People don't know how to speak up and people don't know how to take up for themselves. Um, and she says, when they get, when you get called in the office, don't take it up. ASS, um, you have to speak up. Don't just take it. So, you know, 
I've been thinking about the metaphors and the expressions. So uh, while you're talking about sodomy or something, so is she calling the blackmail a, a rapist or something like that? And, you know, they just carried on just eating the lunch and saying these things. Like, they are the ones that are the, the victims. They aren't doing anything. They don't click and group with each other. Um, just one more thing. There was a a white woman. I don't know if I mentioned this, but there was a white woman that another white person, another one of the white women that is in a tragic arrangement, called she called her a racist. So I said, now, you said this to me earlier this week. What happened, like, with this white woman? She said that a black male sat next to her, and the white woman says to the black female victim, this is on the segregated side where I'm seated, where I've been assigned. She says to the black female, can you just ask him to move? Referring to the black guy, telling the black guy, he, he's not, you know, he's not doing nothing wrong to her. He's looking up tax deeds and she's talking about foreclosures and stuff. And these computers are uh, for use for the public. So apparently she didn't want him next to her, but she's calling this person a racist. Uh, so I said, man, I wasn't even, I wasn't in here. So I said, well, dang, they didn't press the button on her, huh? <laughs> you know, they, they didn't, they didn't call the, they didn't call the bailiffs on her. She said, no, no, they didn't. But, uh, and she says, it's, it's sad too, because she's a teacher. And she said that the, the black guy, he, he was just trying to get away from her because she was being very hostile um, and very nasty. So he physically got up from the seat, got up, and walked out of the uh, the research area. And she followed him and put her hand on his arm or something. Like, you know, where are you going, you know? Like, you're not going to walk away from me. Like, what the heck is wrong with you? That's the way I took it, you know. So, um, But the law enforcement, the sheriff wasn't called on this person. You know what I mean? But the black guy just walking in Thai area and the white guy, the person in charge, I was speaking with him about drinking water or something like that. And about five white men jump on this guy, you know, and that's when he was saying, I ain't, I ain't, uh, engaging in oral sex to go back to jail and stuff like that. But, this white woman is doing all these things and doesn't get approached by law enforcement. So just another comparison right there. Um, and that's all I have to share. Thanks for allowing me to speak. Jeez. They said at the strip club, they don't have a panic button. I said, Oh my goodness. They got a panic button at the courthouse. Like, you go down there and get unruly. Like, they will pounce on you. Don't think you're going to come down here and get sassy at the courthouse. Like, uh, 
No, you need to work on that at the strip club to get the panic button. You get saucy in the uh, champagne room or VIP room or whatever. Like, yeah, five people jump out of the ceiling on you. Um, the the cell now see the cell. Lots of workplaces, right, have a policy about cell phones. This just comes down to enforcement because he's talked about the cell phones over years, you know, calling in because he said sometimes that they'll have it where I think they've already had a cell pol- a cell phone policy in place, unless I'm mistaken, where non-white people have a cell Hey, 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 Jamal, put that cell phone up. You know, we know it's supposed to put that cell phone down. White people, they have their cell and it'll just be, uh, let's everyone just, you know, remember we're not supposed to be on our cell phones. Thanks, Colin. We do have a policy. Thank you. Just real general. No, you don't have to be humiliated and called out directly. <laughs> you got a, a non uh, written warning or that type of a thing. Just real easy, soft, general, inconspicuous nudge to put that phone away. If we followed policy and procedure, this wouldn't be happening to begin with. Now we got to have new rules because they're doing all this. Uh, what do we call unjust networking or flagrant racism talking bad about, you know, other black people, probably a whole lot of other stuff uh, as well. And it's going down on the Twitter. And I'm sure that's tons of that text messages and all that when they get together silently and just talking about other niggers, uh in the workplace. Um, and then uh, this victim uh, where she's there and being subjected to all of this. I don't even know what you want to call it. Uh, abuse ridicule uh figure it out on your own and uh all the rest of this like what in the world like why why isn't it oh we got a new person they hit when he he told us they hired a white woman where she wasn't quite up to par they said now she's gonna need a little hand holding you know we'll we'll work with her and help her get through it well hey figure it out on you you know off to your own devices. So if you're, you're smart, you'll figure it out. That sort of thing. Like what the world? And that's like, that happens in so many job places where non-white people, we come in and we're not trained correctly from the beginning. People do not, they're not forthcoming with information and let us to stumble around and all the rest of it. And then they come for a performance evaluation or whatever, six months later, like, Oh my God, you're the worst employee ever. My, my goodness. Like you act like you haven't been trained. And in many instances we have not been, or we were not trained properly. Or even just having people who, what the world like why not just be sharing info we work together <laughs> we're not all on the same team trying to help people out at the courthouse hmm sabotage in the workplace uh let's see the and then why don't you cry now that one i don't understand at all like uh why don't you cry why don't you like cry about what Am I supposed to come in and cry about the shootings that took place? Am I supposed to cry because I didn't get a raise? Cry because they didn't press the panic button when this heifer came in here abusing people? Like, what am I supposed to just cry about? Is that is that going to show that I'm really a member? Of the, does anybody else cry here? <laughs> like, I didn't. Is, is there a crying room? Do we have facilities for that with tissues and and you can get a hug and a mirror to you know fix your face and everything get right after you get your good crying? Like, what are you even talking about? Where is that grounds like, oh, yeah, you you're not really on our team unless you have a good cry in front of us. Like, come on, man. Talk sense. Um, now, the way that he said that this is one of the white women who's in the old tragic arrangement thing saying that they down here and they see the black guy sitting here 
and the white guy or excuse me white woman white woman sorry my bad white woman it's like hey, can, you, can, you, can you get him get on you know move on out of here now exactly now you got a white woman who's in here being racist and shooing people away for no reason all that mischief why isn't that the panic button get on out of here man or at least where is the bailiff and everybody else ma'am you cannot come into the courthouse and be disruptive like that now this gentleman you know he has the same right as you do to do his research he's not bothering you if there's a problem we're going to have to ask you to leave you're going to have to behave yourself they could have done it that way it's a whole lot what he's got to move and th- she comes and grabbing it where do you think you're going nigga? now that's another pause right then i had that thought they were all afraid of didn't they? that's what they said right they're fearful you know he might have turned around and bit her head off and raped her or both or kidnapped her right that's what alice Ebold told us you know this scary nigga. will smith see all of them she went and grabbed like are you serious how many times do you go grab somebody where I'm feel like, man, I'm going to go grab this. They might turn around and, you know, power bomb me and put the elbow smash and all the rest of it. And I'm, you know, might be hurting, but I'm going to go grab them anyway. You don't just walk away from me. Who do you think you are? Walk away from me. I'm over here. I want to make sure you know, coon. I told you to get on out of here. You get on out of here quick first time. You don't wait five minutes. Tell you a thing or two before you leave. Like, what? Who behaves like that? And even if she verbalized get this nigger to move he complied it can't just it should be done right that's what you want he moved no 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 I want to practice right now that's why I say all that about every time when they say separation and all that is deliberate white supremacy and deception they are lying deliberately every time because if it was separation she would have let that nigger walk right on out of the courthouse he's gone problems that's not what they do stalked him now what do you want me to come back and sit down so you can continue what is it make up your mind tell me and again that's one that you reverse it even I was going to say if he had done this to her but let's take a caller because he works there Imagine a customer comes in and gets sassy with him. No count, nigger. And they're going to go to leave. What What did you call me? Look at here. And he comes around. And goes, now, please, they would have hit the panic button on him. Yep. Come on. Come on. We do not understand what it means to be white who knows what kind of information he could have been trying to buy a house I don't even know what he was researching it could have been something really important and that sort of thing happens to black people all the time he wasn't in here he's not loitering he wasn't trying to bump quarters from her and ask her questions about race aren't you a racist haven't you messed over some black no I'm minding my own business that's why I said, even if you're self-employed, he could have been there for his business. Purpose. I have no idea what records he needed. That's what he's got to go back and tell folks. Tried to get my records, got harassed at the courthouse, stalked me on the way out. I tried to leave just so I can come back in an hour. And she stalked me on the way out. That's what we can deal with. Uh, incidentally, even 
I even have to back up a minute because that's a whole lot of black privilege, black male privilege uh, in the report that we got, you know, for this week. Even before we got to that, he said they were sitting around uh, gossiping the same thing about the supervisor and all that and saying whatever. Ta- that's what I said about those metaphors like, man, whoo, uh, about, you know, you, you get your supervision and that's somehow some sort of sodomy and taking it in the behind. Like what? Whoa, what? 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 what you, are you were the pants off? Did he unzip? Like what? What are you even talking about? He told us previously, unless my memory is really bad, he told us the black male, they had to go and tell him like, man, crack the whip, man. You got to get these folks in line like fuss it up, man. You just being soft and letting them run all over you and do everything like get on a man. That doesn't sound like he's going in there for uh, now. It might not be the same person. Maybe so. But at least unless my memory, didn't you say that before they had to go and get the black male to hey, get these chicks in line, man. You're the supervisor. Boss them around. Tell them what to do. Yes, sir. That that's the that is the same person, the same person, and she was talking like that. And she and she was not only confident but um, like comfortable in making that like I don't know analogy a a metaphor, like like a white person is being harmed saying that, oh, well, they have to speak up and don't just take it like that, like, <laughs> I'm, and I'm eating my lunch, you know, and she's talking to an older white woman, and they, I'm, because see, that's their pattern, they are, they're mainly talking about the black manager, black female manager, and the black male court director that's supposed to be um, in charge and like you mentioned, that sentiment was going around like, hey, you know, you have to you have to uh, take charge and tell them what to do, this and that. So that's the same person. Mm-hmm. Allison Manswell, she wrote that book, Listen In. She was a guest on the program. She's a victim of racism. She says she tells non-white females, speak up. You, exactly what she said. You got to speak up. Yeah, just let it run all over you. You don't have to take it. It's sticking it up your rear end like that. You don't have to. That's She says she tells her females. You speak up. You use your voice. You don't let them do. That. She said, I can't talk to the males like that. They will get the panic button. Black male privilege. Those metaphors, they reveal a lot. You're still you're about five seconds away at all times of being a no count, worthless, raping Negro. They even used that metaphor with him one time they were talking about if we had a, an old rapist uh, that we had to deal with. Yes, yeah, yes. If he was an old rapist here. <laughs> I'm like, what? what that? I'm just. <laughs> yes, sir. Worthless rapist. Blackmail privilege. Yes, that's what we have. Even at the courthouse. Uh, Claude Neal for Florida. We want to talk about black male rapists. Claude Neal. We did talk about that one a number of times. Not too far away. Although I don't think that was in North Florida, but Florida nonetheless. Uh, Bay Area mom, did you have a comment you wanted to get in before we wrap things up? Just checking. 
Oops, I messed up on the switchboard. See, I was not paying attention. Did you have a comment before you, we wrap up or were you just listening? Might have just been listening. That's fine too. Grant. We will be here uh, tomorrow, normal time, uh, compensatory call in, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we'll also be here on Monday, uh, Memorial Day, as they say. Uh, Matt Greider, uh 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, he wrote one of the other books on Joseph Christopher mentioned at the beginning of the program. So looking forward. And in fact, his book, I was reading it today when I was closer to the water at the beach. His book mentions Arthur McDuffie. Sure, retired firefighter knows who that is. That too, in the context of 1980. Like, wow, what a period of time. That's probably another reason why people don't remember all of this, nor do they connect all of the events that took place in 1980. Ronald Reagan's triumph. Anywho, that's Monday. Matt Greider. White guests only tomorrow. Compensatory call in 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. All of that said, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. We have many problems at the career fair. They're playing music like we just get conditioned. We get conditioned to be silly and partying and all the time. We need to be serious and sober to solve this problem. Our people are very serious about not being very serious. Meanwhile, white people are very serious about playing hardball against us. And this hardball is called genocide. Serious. Serious about safety. If you are out and about, not a time for confrontations with strangers you should assume they could be armed might have an entire entourage with them if you are not ready to kill and die right now exit if you're in a vehicle you're sober buckled up not on your cell phone doing the small things that we can to stay as safe as possible under terroristic conditions all throughout the known universe and we're doing the small things that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. That's it, creator. We ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. No name calling. No gossiping. No reckless production of offspring. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. No I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>